Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, folks around the world, welcome back. This is Hot Takes Only, episode 43. This is the podcast where we give you, as the name suggests, only the hottest of our takes on sports. He's Willie, I'm Owen. We got a great show for you. We got a packed show as well, because this is the first time we've had a show that's going to release outside of our usual schedule, which is supposed to be every Friday, but life has been crazy, and it will continue to be crazy for the next at least month, if not further, so... We're just kind of kind of release them as they come out this time. But Willie, oh my God, we have a lot to catch up on, don't we? Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. September is a good month. <laughs> it, is, it is a good month. There's a lot yep. of, of just great stuff in September that we'll have to cover. We've got the final season, uh, the final month of the baseball season. We've got the Premier League in full swing. We've yeah, got we do. the NFL coming back. College football is back. We've got the Ryder Cup in a couple weeks. It is, it is insane how much we're going to have on our plate. And to be able to do... One episode every week for the next three, four weeks is going to be a challenge, but we're up for the challenge. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. We haven't touched on baseball, Willie, in a long time. I think yep. at all this season so far. So it's only appropriate we start with the season that's at its very end right now. But we got some <laughs> some massive stories this year that have made it. If you are a baseball fan, you've known exactly how crazy this season has been and how amazing of a year for the sport in general yeah. and all, all the good and the bad willie what are we talking about who's who's up first what do you think are the i yeah i think i think that honestly you know to me you know this has been a really crazy season for a lot of reasons in in baseball but to me honestly the two things that really stand out just big picture are the net the, are, are both in the National League. I think the biggest things that that shock me, are not not shock me, because I predicted one of them, <laughs> still. But um, I think that the two things that stand out are that the NL West has had one of the best pennant, you know, one of the best division races we've probably ever seen, and you know, in the NL East, just the big hype. And I did predict this before the season. The big uh, disappointment in the Mets, who are not out of it, but um, you know have been a really big disappointment in the fact that Atlanta, after losing Acuna, just surged and completely you know look like they are in control, but you know still a lot of things left to be played. So to me, the the you know in addition to the individual stuff, which we'll touch on. I just think the National League has been really, really interesting. Yep, I agree. And to me, it's one of those things, Willie, where the National League has panned out in a way that I, I don't think anyone expected. No. Outside of the Dodgers being good and the Padres being good. But to, to see the Mets go out and, and acquire Lindor and acquire Carrasco, have Jacob deGrom leading a strong rotation with Stroman and Taiwan Walker and, and Carrasco, as I mentioned before, not to mention the, the elite arms they already have in that bullpen for them to be as just abysmal as they have been at certain parts of the season, particularly in the second half. I mean, we've had the owner come out and call out the players. We'd have players, I guess, give their, ber their, their version of booing fans. It, it's been a circus with the Mets. And... I said this, and, and I'm going to admit I was wrong about the Mets. Uh, my my prediction, is, as you know, Willie, at the start of the year, was that the Mets pitching staff was going to carry them all the way to October. And the Braves were going to disappoint me. At, at the time, they had been, because they'd just been a terrifyingly bad 
baseball team for the couple months, the first couple months of the season. And it just, for, for the world, it just did not look like the Mets were going to lose that division. The Phillies were too inconsistent, and the pitching staff outside of Aaron Noah and Zach Wheeler wasn't good enough. But then, second half of the season, the Braves have played much better. They've been surging as of late, now in first place by a game and a half over the Phillies. But it, it's just, it's... It's just a shock that the Mets have kind of fallen to this degree. Now, yeah, not having Jacob Degrom hurts a lot mm-hmm. when you have when you have the best yeah. pitcher on the planet on your team and he's out for months at a time. It's it's a real it's a pain and it's really tough for your team to continue to perform at a very high level. Yeah, absolutely, right? But I think that, you know, the you know, the the thing about the Mets and, you know, obviously, like you said, DeGrom was, I mean, before he got hurt, it was just pitching, you know, unreal, but, you know, at coming into the season, you know, yes, Lindor has been tremendously disappointing, but this was a, a, a really not great offense with, you know, they've got Pete Alonso, but a bunch of mediocre hitters. And the fact that Lindor has came in and by his own admission, you know, stunk, um, you know, they're, I think, third to last in runs scored in the MLB. That tells you all you need to know, you know, really. I mean, yeah. despite, you know, despite DeGrom, they still have, you know, Stroman and a decent, you know, pitching staff. But, you know, it's just they have a lot of players. You know, Jeff McNeil is a good player. He, You know, he struggled. They just they haven't been able on that side of the, you know, the ball to put, you know, to support their their pitching. <laughs> Yeah, and you just think about how good of a team they would be if they had a halfway decent bullpen, because or halfway yeah. decent lineup. I'm sorry, because the bullpen is nails. The rotation, yeah. when Degrom is healthy, obviously that's that hasn't really happened a lot this season, uh, has been outstanding. Uh, Carrasco maybe has been a disappointment, but it's you know he's he's kind of a, a a strange one to gather because you never know what someone what someone returning from having cancer is going to be yeah. like and and. Just for him to be back out there as quickly it's as he incredible. was, I think, mm-hmm. is a story in and of itself. But him not being the same kind of Carlos Carrasco we came to know with Cleveland, it's a sad story. But it's kind of, you know, it's it's coming back. I mean, I can't imagine having cancer and then just a couple months later being back on a baseball field and pitching at the highest level. So yeah, for him to I just mean, be yeah, out there in, in the first place. Yeah, you know? no, absolutely. I think the, the story of Carrasco is, you know, even though he hasn't played well, it's just... It's just a really incredible story. I, I was hoping as a Cleveland fan, you know, he would get some redemption. It hasn't happened. But what's funny about this is, you know, a lot of the narrative about the Mets the last few seasons was how bad the bullpen was. You know, it was just and, you know, how bad the bullpen was. And, oh, Edwin Diaz stinks and they need a new closer. And, you know, now all of a sudden, like you said, they have a fantastic bullpen. But it's just they, you know everything else you know let them down and i think the way they really slumped and like they they had they really struggled they they lost a lot of games i think it i think it goes to show that you know if you put you know we we always talk about how the big market teams in the mlb have an advantage but i think it goes to show that if you're an mlb team that you know, just because you have the money and you can, you know, just because you put lots of money into a smaller amount of players doesn't mean, you know, it's always going to work the best. You know, depth matters. 
and player development matters. And, you know, if you look at Tampa Bay, where it's just seemingly everybody on the roster is just really good. And yet again, they're, you know, incredible. And, you know, Oakland, the same thing. They, you know, Seattle even, you know, having a good season. So it goes to show that, you know, you can pay, you know, Lindor a huge contract. But, you know, one guy doesn't make a, you know, a whole team. <laughs> so Exactly. You know, exactly. but I, I, I do want to just touch on Lindor for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to me, Lindor, the signs were there um, when towards kind of the tail end in Cleveland. Um, you know, and I remember, and I looked this up, you know, he hit his last season in Cleveland, you know, he, he hit 258 and, you know, he, he really struggled at times. And, you know, the thing with, with Lindor was, you know, you, you just always worry that when you see players today just trying to hit the long ball, you know, and it's incredible to have a shortstop who is a Gold Glove candidate that can hit over 30 home runs. But, I mean, man, when you're, you know, I mean, gosh, his OPS is under 700. Like, that's that's not good. Mm. So, you know, just the fact that, the signs were there with Lindor and, you know, uh, I understand, uh, you know, the Cleveland side of it looks a little bit better now. That, that's all I'll say. It's, it's obviously early. It's one season, but you know, the Cleveland side looks a little bit better now. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, well, it, you, you did call it at the start of the season in our preview. You, you said that the Mets were going to struggle. Yeah, uh, and they couldn't rely on that offense to get it done, even with Lindor, who had been showing signs of a, an inevitable decline. And you know, to to yeah. have the kind of year that he's having, given everything that's kind of surrounded his arrival in New York, it's not to say that it's expected, but y- you can kind of understand where it's coming from. So it's it's a combination of that plus knowing that the last couple of years that he was in Cleveland, that he wasn't the same Lindor as we saw in. 2016, 2017, 2018, where he was all over every season, every single postseason highlight that Cleveland had, and yeah. and it's just a it's a it's a huge difference in in kind of the expectation for the Mets now because you know that Lindor isn't the same player at least right now. So do you either have to accept that as what it is and try to build better team around it, or do you as what his contract would indicate. Do you put all your eggs in the basket that he is at some point in his career in New York going to finally return to a semblance of the player that he was when they, when they drafted him or they, when they uh, went out and got him. Here's the real, here's the real question on who are you? Okay. Who are you putting more stock in the rest of their career? And I know this is a hot takes only. So I know we have to get hot takes, but are you given more stock in, in, um, in Lindor or Bellinger? Because I think there's a real conversation there. They're, they're very similar. Both are great defensive players. Both are fast. You know, both hit for power. But really struggle at the plate. Uh, I think you, you might know where my head is with this one, Willie. Uh, and, and for the folks who are listening, it, it's it's Lindor. I strongly think... I, I do feel strongly about Cody Bellinger having a little bit of a... Um, I don't know what the I don't know what the word is a, an infatuation by by sports media because he has 
the pretty swing from the left side and because he can make acrobatic catches in center field because he's a, a extraordinarily gifted athlete. But, you know, that's, that's, I guess, for another time. Um, I, I've thought about putting something together. So uh, I have a little, a little project in the works that I won't spoil too much of. You'll just have to stay tuned and find out what that is. But effectively, it, it, if you were to put a gun to my head right now and, and ask me who's going to have a better career when it's all said and done, I'm going to say Lindor. Okay. And I think it's pretty, not cut and dry, but there's just so much evidence pointing in his direction. Because I, I was watching a, a video on this too by, it was actually, I think, a Dodgers uh, mm. YouTube channel, a Dodgers fan YouTube channel. It was yeah. breaking down Cody Bellinger in 2019 when he won MVP. His first two months of the season where he was on a godlike tear. I mean, it was unbelievable. Like, one of the most incredible stretches to start a season we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But the second half of 2019, along with his 2020 numbers and so far in 2021, it's kind of looked very similar. And it's led me to believe that he's basically someone who won MVP because he was very, very, very good for two months of the year. Now, that can't be discounted, obviously, and his numbers were historic. But... When you consider the fact that we're talking about longevity and we're talking about at the end of, hopefully for, for baseball fans and for them too specifically, at the end of long, illustrious careers, I would still think Lindor would have a better one because this season and I guess his last season in Cleveland aside, he's been more consistent than Cody Bellinger at a higher level. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. Cody Bellinger's high, his ceiling may be higher, but his floor is a lot lower. Mm. And I yeah. think that's that's probably the the defining characteristic for me. I'm sure we're going to talk about Cody Bellinger, especially in October, if right. if uh, if and when the Dodgers make have a, a big series against another powerhouse in the National League, and Cody Bellinger can't perform to the same standards that he did even in what 2018 in the postseason, where he kind of had the first year out of the way kind of know what to expect in the postseason because 2017 watching him in the world series against houston i mean yes astros being trash aside that was painful to watch him fail so miserably with so many different and it's the same it's the same hole in his swing that he fixed for 2019 but then kind of fell back in that same pattern it's breaking balls down and away that postseason it's multiple postseasons Mm -hmm. dodgers fans but that he struggled uh, and I think you said that really well, the fact that he has a hole in the swing and that, you know, really in the even the 2019, the seasons were there, you know, even the, although, you know, he was incredible his rookie season and you're thinking maybe and then, you know, he he after that, he didn't have a good year. And then he came back and was like on a tear. So you're thinking maybe he was just an up and down player. But let me give you the uh, let me give you the the flip side on about why why um, Lindor will be worse. And the reason is because <laughs> it comes down to the money. Bellinger's on a one-year $16 million deal. Surely he, $16.1 million to be exact. Surely they can get him on a discount. Would you rather have Bellinger for $10 million or Lindor for $341 million over 10 years? Like, Lind- I mean, now, now we're talking, if you got to pay Lindor... 30 plus million a year 
with certain years going to be like over 40? Like, my gosh, I don't know. Like, you know, it's a real question. And it'll be one that we'll have to answer years from now because we won't know right away. I mean, Lindor is, how old is he, 29? Cody Bellinger's our mm-hmm. age. He's younger than both of us. So mm-hmm. it, it'll take a while before it's all said and done to know that when it comes down to the money, Cody Bellinger's agent is going to milk every single cent out of those first few months of 2019 that they can. And I don't blame, I mean, that's that's what I would want. If I was Cody Bellinger, I'd want my agent to do the same thing. If I had two, three months where I was arguably the best baseball player on the planet, better than Mike Trout, or at least in the same in the same conversation as Mike Trout, then I would want my agent to milk every cent of that, every cent of that that they can. So there's a chance that Cody Bellinger's on a deal that's much better than Lindor's for him specifically. Not necessarily for the Dodgers or whoever wants to pay that kind of money. Uh, I'm sure the Yankees are going to take a good hard look at Cody Bellinger when he hits free agency because a player of that caliber, you can't imagine that he's going to want to take a pay cut, especially this early in his career. Mm. If if someone is going to get in his ear and say, you know what, you can be a free agent and you can really make some good money on the open markets. I think he's, he's arbitration eligible for another couple years. Mm-hmm. And at, by that point, I think he'll he'll be he'll be thinking you know what i think i can really get some some good money on the open market and i think there's a there's a few teams that would really want a left-handed power hitter uh one of them being of course the new york yankees mm-hmm. well i'll tell you what i'll tell you what i mean you're right maybe bellinger you know will want a fresh start um but you know now now all of a sudden i mean you know Obviously, you know, that's that's thinking kind of the longer term here. But, you know, all of a sudden now the the you know, the Dodgers are in a tough situation with that, you know, and obviously they traded away Verdugo, too. So, you know, all of a sudden the you know, the Dodgers did kind of eat away a little bit into their depth in the organization. Also, with the with the Scherzer trade, they traded a lot of players, Scherzer and Turner trade. Um, and so, yeah, I just think Cody, you know, I think those two guys are really, you know, interesting stories and, you know, honestly, like it's kind of interesting, right? Because, you know, we always talk about this, but I mean, particularly the Lindor, it's kind of, it could potentially be up there with one, some of the really bad, like MLB contracts, you know, and this one, it's unfortunate. I know it's early, but you know, Lindor in the prime of his career, I think he's 27, and so you didn't see it coming, kind of like, you know, Pujols or something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it, these are tough situations to see the, these two guys specifically really struggle. Yeah. Bellinger's, I, we're going to have to keep a really close eye on it the next year or two, especially as he gets closer and closer to being eligible for free agency. Because we, we just don't know that what he ends up being when he gets to this point where Lindor is. If he is, if his decline is anything prolonged or it's literally just down to the case of he had to deal with long-term injuries this season, wasn't able to kind of get into a full season rhythm as in a normal year, as in we haven't had one of these since his MVP season in 2019. Yep. So we don't know what a full healthy off season could be for Cody Bellinger. Maybe he takes his year and after the postseason. He shuts it down for a couple months, really gets the body right, and then really gets into an off-season program. 
and yep. is able to put together again the kind of numbers we saw in 2019 because even given the struggles he had in the second half of 2019 his his numbers to end the year i mean these are these are ridiculous numbers and again i don't want to take away from cody bellinger being good i think he's a fantastic yeah. player this is kind of like my take with pep guardiola he's a fantastic player yeah he didn't miss a he he missed 6 games in 2019 played 156 games with a 305 average 406 on base and an ops of 1035 incredible incredible and like this is this is insane. and we're talking about a second half of the year he, where he struggled mightily and, because, and that is one good thing to mention about bellinger too is he, he has a good eye you know he does not chase many pitches when he struggles a little bit more but not to mention great defense how we talk about that um yeah. no that's incredible um you know, you're right. We're going to have to see. And you're right. He's dealt with some injuries, too. Hopefully in the offseason, they can put him in a good offseason program and, and rehab him, get him healthy, also fix the holes in the swing. But I'm going to give you another player, on, if that's okay. I'm going to give another player who I have my close eye on on the but, on the um, bust alert. Can you, can you name that one for me? I want to say Javi Baez. No, no, I wasn't going there. Although the Mets are certainly, uh, <laughs> they're, they're an easy target. We should have mentioned him in the Mets thing here, but, but yeah, uh, it's not Javi Baez. You want to get? Um. In fact, I'm gonna call it right now. That I'm gonna call it right now that we're gonna look at this being a really bad contract. Oh my God. Um. Is it for performance reasons or for other reasons? Uh, you know, I mostly performance. You know, although, yeah, no, like you know, I, I, I don't want to give it away by saying more, but you know, it's not like you know, they've had you know off-field issues or or something like that. Right. Um. I'm I'm stumped. Who we got? Willie Rendon. I think 31 years old. He's been injured, struggled even before that. Same last year. I just, he 31, paid him a lot of money. Classic Angels. I just don't see, <laughs> we'll, we'll give it a few years and Rendon will be hitting 250, 25 home runs and playing half the games with subpar defense. <laughs> I, I remember watching this game. I can't remember who it was with, but I think it was an Angels fan who was talking about Anthony Rendon or someone someone commenting or making a joke about it they were just like how anthony rendon looks like the most miserable player on the field at any given time and mm. part of me is just like that i mean it, it, it's it's not a critique of him it's a critique of the angels organization how they mm -hmm. have squandered the careers of so many different world-class players Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, we're just we're just like, wow, he he really got his money and just stopped playing baseball. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. You, Justin Upton, I think, is is one of the ones that doesn't get as much uh, much fanfare because, you know, mm. obviously the guy playing next to him in center field Another when he's healthy. Example. Justin Upton, great player. Right. Before. Big contract with the Angels has not produced. Anthony Rendon, same story. Pujols, pretty much the same story when he was with Anaheim. He had a couple spurts here and there, but it wasn't, you know, was it wasn't even <laughs> remotely close to where you would expect him to be. Someone who's, you know, who was Albert Pujols of the Cardinals. Uh, and then, of yeah. course, 
the best player in baseball, Mike Trout. I, him and DeGrom being hurt is one of the real killers of this year. If they were both healthy this year, it would have been probably the best season in baseball history to have mm-hmm. all of these stars at the same time playing at the top of their game. We'll talk about uh, a few more of those in a minute because I do want to move on to some of the other big stories in, in baseball this year. Can I just say year. real quick, Owen, that yeah. you're missing you're missing two Angels misses in the past that were you know really bad. <laughs> I probably uh, repressed them out of my head. Uh, all these players together in their prime could have been great, but Vernon Wells back in the day when he was oh my God. Really good from Toronto, really yeah. good. He was one of my favorite players growing up. And, yep. uh, of course, Josh Hamilton. They get oh, Josh- that's right. And um, um, uh, the, um, uh, I can't his, – his name escapes me. C.J. Wilson, I think it was. Mm-hmm. He was someone who the got pitcher. a the lefty, got a big contract. He was good. Those, he was good for Texas. Texas. And, yep. came there and-, and uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know what it is in Anaheim. It's something in the water in Anaheim. It, it must they, be. They just – man, they players come there and they die. I mean <laughs> – yeah, you know? it must be being stuck in traffic, stuck in traffic in Orange County all the time. <laughs> it could, you and I it both def- know that. It could definitely be that. You, know? <laughs> you and I also, both know I that can, OC traffic. You can go is no back joke. in the day. Um, you know, uh, you can even go back. I mean, Gary Matthews Jr. Mm-hmm. I remember him. Um, what's his face? Mo Vaughn. Mm. <laughs> Mo Vaughn. Um, you know, so there's just more. You know, there's. But Josh Hamilton, no, I don't know. But anyways, you know, Josh Hamilton, it's like crazy because, right, you got, like, think about this, right? You have Pujols, who, you know, MVP winner. Uh, you've got Josh Hamilton, was an MVP winner. And Rendon yep. didn't win MVP, but he could have very easily won MVP in 2019. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, anyways, that, that's the Angels. <laughs> Something about the Angels. Uh, but that's actually where Willie, a... Mm. Perfect segue into the story that I want to get to. I mentioned mm. it last week in the hot takes, but Shohei Otani in 2021 has made this baseball season a big part of what it is. Mm. In the context of what 2021 and even dating back to late 2020 has been, just the the person, the timing, and of course the results. We are talking about an all-time great season. Mm-hmm. Not even from the statistics, but just what this represents for mm. so many millions of people, mm. uh, myself included. Mm. Willie. Yeah. It, it, it's almost, I, I feel like, and this is just me kind of keeping my eye on the general sports media perception of Shohei Otani so far this year. Mm. It almost feels like the conversation about AL MVP has to be talked about with a giant caveat because if we were talking straight up about who the most valuable player is any one team so far this season Mm. it's Shohei Otani no question because when was the last time a player one player could do everything on a baseball field that well (laughs) the only thing he hasn't really done is play infield but he could probably play first base as good as, if not better than Jared Walsh. Mm-hmm. And and that's not a knock on Jared Walsh. Jared Walsh is a fantastic player. And there's a reason that they ended up shipping Pujols out of LA. That's, there's a reason they cut him because they wanted to give Walsh playing time. Yeah, sure. But Otani's done it all. And he's done it all at an exceptionally high level. 
So when you're talking about value to a team, there's no one who could possibly have a case that's higher. But we have to talk about it in the, in the context of like, well, okay, well, Vladdy Jr., for example, is not a two-way player. Mm -hmm. But he's still tearing the cover off the ball. And he's still having a fantastic offensive season. Mm. But Otani's just in a different conversation because he doesn't do the same thing. So it's almost like the same thing we're having with Mike Trout, where every year the AL MVP discussion is, okay, Mike Trout is the standard. Who is coming close to the Mike Trout standard? Is it Mike Trout or is it someone else? It yeah. feels like we're doing that with Otani again this season because of what he brings on the mound. And I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Mm. And I don't think we will. Yeah. Um, we are definitely, I mean, you know, you know, I was reading an article, for example, and, you know, people are saying, you know, like it could quite possibly be maybe the best MLB, you know, the all time best or close to it, you know, quote unquote, you know, um, MLB season. It's absolutely incredible and definitely the clear, uh, AL MVP. Um, and, you know, I think that just honestly, you know, one of the coolest things about being a sports fan, you know, is like you and, you know, you got to cherish it. Right. Because I think that, you know, sometimes there are just really special stories and that you you hardly ever, you know, get again, you know, and, you know, there's lots of, you know, see sometimes these things will happen and players will, will just individually or teams will go on these incredible runs and you just have to soak it in because you, it's really enjoyable to watch. You, you know, you're never going to see it again. And honestly, you know, as a baseball fan, you know, the, I remember when I was younger, like I do remember Randy Johnson a little bit like 2001, just like really, really young, but you know, the only MLB season that I remember like this, where it was just so captivating to watch was, you know, Barry Bonds when he was, you know, hit 70 plus home runs. And it was just like every game, you know, like you want to tune in. And it was just incre incredible show. And is he going to hit it in McCovey Cove and stuff? And, and it's the same this season. It's like you'll always remember like for the rest of your life you know, watching a season like this and just the incredible numbers, you know, the only bummer, like, is they're just not in the playoff hunt. But, you know, it's just, like you said, as a sport, more than anything, as a sports fan, you just have to appreciate, you know, that, like, man, like, I remember watching that, like, because you're right, it'll it'll never happen again. Could you, could you imagine what would happen if Shohei Otani in the same season started on the mound and that leadoff in both the all-star game and game one of the world series. Could you imagine if that would ever happen? I mean, again, I don't think it will because the angels have, we've just talked about this. The angels are kind of a dumpster fire when it comes to superstars, but that would be probably the most incredible story in our lifetimes, at least in baseball. And yeah. certainly it's up there in conversation for greatest things in sports. No, because, for sure. And as we I talk about, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I cut you off. No, I was just going to say, we because we, we talk about baseball players, we, we don't mention them the same breath as as basketball players or soccer players. NFL is a different story altogether because the game is so different. But say soccer players and, uh, and the NBA as well. We don't talk about 
that being we don't talk about players being so specialized because you have for example in talk you have midfielders who can do it all you have creative players who can defend you have defenders who can score goals mm-hmm. but do we ever talk about hitters who can throw 100 miles an hour and drop splitters just down in the dirt that look good for 60.5 feet of the way or 60 yep. feet five in it, it, it's it's insanity it, it really is and we don't we don't ever see anything like this in, in other sports because baseball because everything is so specialized and obviously football would be a different story if if say yep. someone were to play quarterback and i don't know kicker or something along those lines but it, it, it's just not the same because baseball is the sport that it is yeah and you know <laughs> to follow up on your point you're absolutely right and you know What's so captivating about this is, is like you said, you know, <laughs> normally, you know, ba- you know, ba- it may move baseball fans, but for the general public, I mean, you know, say that a pitcher has a, you know, a very good season or even a hitter has a great season. It really doesn't move the needle. Now, if you have a specialized player that has a really exceptional season, like, for example, a, like in our lifetime, Pedro in, in 2000 and um, Kershaw in 2014, when I think he had a, a, was like a 1.77 ERA, those get you a little bit more. But, but for the more hardcore baseball fan, and this is just so incredible. It's so captivating, whether you really like baseball or not. And it's just so extraordinary. And my gosh, I mean, you know, we were talking, we talked on our previous show about like, what are the most like exciting things to watch if you were just a fan? And you couldn't have asked for anything more because this is just incredible, you know, entertainment. And, and like you said, it will never be done again. I mean, geez, like, you know, I feel like, Ironically, what's so funny about this, you could even say to put some perspective about that, right, was some people say, like I read an article, for example, it said the you know, the all time, uh, one of the all time best seasons was Babe Ruth in 1921, you know, 100 years ago mm-hmm. <laughs> and a 100 year anniversary. Right. So just I mean. Honestly, like I said, as a, as a sports fan, you can just never ask for these amazing stories. And, um, you know, like the fact too, that I just want to say too, like, like the fact that, you know, I think what's also incredible and about, about this too, and I just want to touch on this for a second too, but specifically when you talk about the two way playing, the fact that he is an incredible power hitter is just absurd because Normally, pitchers who can handle the bat, I mean, they hit with no power. So to have Otani hit over 40 home runs, it's just like it's really insane. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, yeah. And the flip side of that is you talk about pitchers who can handle the bat, but usually aren't that great with the other side of, of their position, which is actually pitching. Uh, Mike Hampton is an example that from that I remember really well from uh, from my childhood with uh, watching the Mm -hmm. Braves. It's he was a great hitter for a pitcher, 
but he couldn't pitch sometimes and that's kind of the that's kind of the main thing it's like well obviously his his the thing that got him to be a big leaguer was the pitching it wasn't the hitting you mm. usually don't go the other way around you don't usually start at the big league you know you don't come into the big leagues as a as a top class hitter and then all of a sudden develop a 95 mile an hour fastball it just doesn't happen that way you know no no absolutely not absolutely not uh you're right mike hampton's a good example of that and because like you said some guys can handle that a little bit but you're right they they can't do the other but i think i want to i just want to mention one thing real quick which is that you know for I understand. I, I do just want, want to take this one direction, which is that um, I feel like the fact that, okay, for all some of the you know more negative things, you know, ESPN does a great job promoting products, and the fact that ESPN, you know, televises you know Sunday night and some weekday games, but I'm just surprised that this sto- like this story. I don't want to say it's not buried, but I'm surprised the story isn't all over everything, every publication, everything. I don't know if that's TV, if that's the MLB. We always talk about the promotion, but like from a fan perspective, I mean, this is exactly what the MLB needs. And I don't know why to me, it just feels like it's getting lower in the headlines. And maybe you explain that to me. Maybe that's just unfortunately a product of, you know, we talk about the the struggles baseball have with connecting with younger fans. But it feels like to me, every commercial, like every social media post, not every, but 95% should be about Otani. Like clips all the time. Every at bat. Otani's coming up to the plate. Like Twitter message alerts. Otani's coming up to the plate. Uh, buzz messages. Otani's about to start a game. Like, I, I don't know why this story, because, like, we got to talk about this with baseball. Like, I don't know why, given that this may be the best season ever, it's not being talked about. Like, remember how much people, like, talked about McGuire and Sosa, right? Like, mm. older baseball fans. Like, yeah. Like, why is this season, this season needs to be, and I mean, maybe. That was, like you said, because it was two good teams and it was like a race and maybe like Barry Bonds, the team was good and he was trying to break a record, whereas Otani's not really breaking a record, I guess. But like, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm am – I, am I off there? Or is it just it feels like the promotion has been a little, you know, slack? If it was up to me, Willie, we would live in that reality. If it was up to me, we would – everyone on – Every social media platform who follows any sort of baseball team or baseball player or anything sports related would just get a new would get some sort of update. Otani's playing. This is what Otani's doing. This is Shohei Otani. This is historic in nature. Just the fact that it exists, let alone the fact that he's leading the American League in home runs, leading Major League Baseball in home runs, let alone the fact that he has a sub three ERA as a as a starting pitcher who also leads the American League in home runs, who also has 20-plus stolen bases, who also has an OPS of 970. Mm-hmm. This is... It, it, it. For us, it makes sense because we're big baseball fans. For the average person who maybe knows about the story but isn't that 
in tune with it. They may read it a few years ago and say, wait a minute, this was massive. What, what happened? And I, I want to avoid being a conspiracy theorist as much as possible, Willie. I really do. But to me, it's, it's not cut and dry. It's not super, super simple. There's a lot of nuance to it. And I want to acknowledge that. But a big part of me does believe that the reason the coverage of Otani isn't as widespread as it should be is because Otani is not American. Stephen A. Smith's take that Otani being face, the face of baseball or a face of baseball is bad because he doesn't speak English hmm. is, to me, it's proof that we as a country still don't really accept people and accept news of this variety if it does not originate in the U.S. Hmm. With Tatis, it's different. With Vladdy Jr., it's different. Because, especially for baseball fans, because their names are synonymous with baseball. They both have Jr. at the end of their name. Yeah. Their dads were both great players. I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Sr., arguably better than Fernando Tatis Sr., but they were both established major leaguers. I mean, Tatis hit two grand slams in an inning. That in and of itself is pretty huge. And to have his son be one of the faces of baseball is is huge. But Otani is still kind of the foreigner. And it's no one's fault in particular. It's more so just this is where we are as a country in the middle of a pandemic hmm. caused by a virus that originated in what people used to call the Far East. And what people would still call the Far East, I would still just call it China, Asia. I'm I'm half Chinese. Let's not let's not beat around the bush here. To me, this is this is almost a little bit personal too. Hmm. Because I've dealt with a, a lot of the same thing Otani probably has dealt with. And I'm sure he's deal he's dealing with a lot of the same things that my mom has to deal with. Hmm. I mean, granted, he's a he's a professional athlete and people around the world know who he is, but it's the same kind of xenophobic barriers you have to get through as an immigrant coming from Asia. So I'm not saying it's a race thing. I'm not saying it's all this is happening because he's, he's Japanese. But there's a big part of it to me that's like we're not fully appreciating what is so historic and what is so massive because there is a language barrier. There's a cultural barrier to it. There's, there is an element of Shohei Otani has only been in this country for a couple of years. He doesn't speak a lot of English. That may be difficult for some people to wrap their head around that someone who doesn't speak English comes to the United States and does this incredible historic thing yeah. that no one has done in a hundred years, but they can't really connect with him because he doesn't speak English. It's not bad for the sport. It's bad that we don't really appreciate it on that level. Mm -hmm. That's not a Shohei Otani problem. That's an us problem. That's, yeah, an, that's an American problem. That's just yeah, my two cents. I, I honestly don't know no. why it is what it is. Again, yeah. if it was up to me, then I would be blasting out notifications left, right, and center. Yeah. But that's just the reality. And, you know, <laughs> selfishly, as baseball fans, we get to enjoy it without everyone being like, oh my God, show Tani this, show Tani that, by kind of your gigantic multimedia corporations. No, the, I mean... The CNNs of the world aren't in his face every single game. Maybe they are. I mean, maybe they are. We don't know about it, but I would I would argue that that's not really the case. 
No. Oh, and I mean, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, unfortunately that, you know, unfortunately that is a part of it for sure. And it is really sad. I think all of us, you know, have to, to do better at that. And, you know, it's, it's also just, you know, I mean, my gosh, like, you know, I, I think it's also important to remember too, just, I mean, that, like, man, I spoke French for, you know, 14 years, and I can't speak it fluently, you know? So we shouldn't care about that anyways, but even if people do, it's like you got to understand how hard it is. But you're right, absolutely. We shouldn't care about any of this stuff anyways, you know? We should just—it's unfortunate as a country that we're, you know, in this position— and, you know, hopefully as a society, we can, you know, have more diversity and inclusion, um, you know, and, and, but yeah, it's just bottom line is that, you know, it, it's absolutely, you know, incredible that, you know, this is happening. And it, it like I said, I mean, man, if, if this can't get a baseball fan exciting, like, I don't know what can, you know what I mean? I think that I don't think there's an issue getting baseball fans excited. It's it's the casual person. It's the person who has no idea who the good people, the good players in baseball are right now. Who has no idea that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is in the middle of the MVP race. But his the conversation has to be nuanced for him because Shohei Otani is the only two way player in baseball we've seen since Babe Ruth. You know, the yeah. only true effective superstar at both pitcher and position player that we've seen since Babe Ruth. So it, and it's, it's a shame because the other part of it is Walker Bueller. We talked about oh, last yeah. week is being completely shunned by the national, by national sports media outlets because he's not Shohei Otani. <laughs> it's, it takes all the focus, you know, for, for baseball, obviously it's different. You know, the, the baseball tonight's the, you know, the, the Ken Rosenthal's the Jeff Passons. They're the ones who are giving enough attention to your, Fernando Tatis Juniors or Trevor ba you're not Trevor hope hope not Trevor Bauer he I hope yeah. he never plays baseball again uh, your uh, Walker Bueller excuse me just not you know it's it's not getting the attention on a national level but on the baseball side the only true baseball writers and columnists and talking heads they're the ones who are actually caring about the greater story for mm -hmm. for everyone else, it's just Otani, but it's not as big as it should be for it to get that kind of attention. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's just, it's, it's the biggest story in sports, mm -hmm. but it's not being treated yeah. like the biggest story in sports. It's being treated like the biggest story in baseball. Yeah, at least that's you know in American sports, I should say. But all right. that's getting it thrown out the window uh, come this Thursday because the NFL is back, so baseball's taking another backseat to sure. uh, to the NFL. But no, unfortunately, it is what yeah, it is, no. I guess. Yeah. I, I think um, I was also going to say, too, I, I think that um, I think that one thing, one reason that this, I think, I think one thing that the MLB could also do better, in my opinion, is that, you know, I think that and like this might be like. You know, just me, and maybe this is like, 
a stupid thought. Um, but, you know, I think that the, I think that, like, we talk about this all the time, right? And I think there's this angels thing too, right? But I, I talk about this all the time. I think that the MLB needs to force, like, entire series on on national television and just get as much promotion. Mm-hmm. Like, get not just one game. Get, like, all three or four games. Like, if Otani's playing, get him three or four game series. You know, hype up the series in case you, you know, you miss one game. That's just, you know, one thing. I think that's one thing baseball could use to its advantage more is just like, you know, like, for example, right, Dodgers and Padres has developed into a little rivalry. But it's like you see they'll be on TV a few games in a row. You know, I I just think that, like, I don't know what it is, too, also, but, like, seriously, like, if you're just thinking about publicity, like, Morotani, like, honestly— Regular season games, most of them should be angel games. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I know that's going to sound crazy, but I, I think that's more interesting than one of 162, you know, even if it's two good teams. Yeah. That, no, I, I, Willie, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think like, that's exactly— like, Why is this not being covered, like like, like I said, like a Mark McGuire or Barry Bonds thing where it's like— all, it doesn't matter how good the team was. Like all the time, they're always on TV. Yeah, it. I, I think there's there's a, a broader issue that can be solved very very easily. Um, so you know, for for two of us who have a very close eye on when games air, when big series are, you and I know exactly when Otani's yeah. gonna pitch. Yeah, and we know. Who he's playing, we we know these things because you know we, we obviously host this podcast and and we're just big baseball fans. There's there's an element of just it's it's a it's a conflict between fans, true fans' interest, along with the interests of the net, the relevant networks. So. Yeah. Between ESPN, Fox, TBS, everyone who carries a nationally broadcast baseball game. So this this doesn't discount RSNs. We'll talk about those in a minute. But between ESPN, Fox, TBS, and everyone else who has a game primetime or the middle of the day at any point during the regular season. In order for those, I guess, proposals on our end to have a whole series... Say the Angels are playing the Dodgers. Put that on every single network. We have the defending champion Dodgers against Shohei Otani, Mike Trout when he's healthy, and the Angels. That's yeah. huge. Let's let's broadcast that nationally. Yeah. yeah. So if the series is set where the Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. Yeah. Friday's game is at 7.05 Pacific time. It's 10 o'clock, in, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern. East. It's a little on the late side. So it makes sense for that game. To be on ESPN because what else are you going to air on ESPN at ten o'clock on a Friday? Nothing. Not a whole lot else, especially during baseball season. So that makes sense. But then you talk about a one o five game Pacific time, which is four o five Eastern, and especially in September or even in April, where there's still NBA. ESPN and other sports networks will have to weigh 
okay, do we have this baseball game, which is going to gather X number of viewers? Or do we have this basketball game, which is going to carry Y number of viewers? Is the difference between X and Y so substantial that it makes sense for ESPN to only consider one of the options or Fox to consider one of the options? You know, this is just, there's just examples of, of mm -hmm. networks and things they have to balance. So it's a balancing act, not only for the, for the fans' interest, but for, for companies because they have to look, you know, their, their obligation to themselves mm -hmm. and to their shareholders is to look after what is their bottom line. Mm. Unfortunately for the fans, it's not always going to line up. So we're left in this situation where MLB has to come to some kind of agreement with ESPN and every major national network to figure out, okay, we want to, we want to get the most out of a series where, you know, say a team with Jacob deGrom, if, if, if at some point in his career, he leaves the Mets. A team against with Jacob DeGrom is going to go against a team with Shohei Otani. That game needs to be on TV Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm. They need to come to some sort of agreement. But say they can't. And there's this other solution. And this is the one that drives me specifically crazy. Mm. Because I live in LA. I live in Southern California. And I want to watch the Dodgers. I want to watch Shohei Otani. But I can't. Because I don't have cable. Because cable's expensive. Mm. And I, like a lot of other people our age, decided mm. not to get cable in favor mm. of a different sort of yeah. streaming platform yeah. like YouTube TV, Sling, Fubo, etc. Some sort of cable network that's not cable. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are doing that. Which is great. And I supplement that with MLB.TV so I can watch out-of-network games as well. The only problem is, with that agreement, I can't get Spectrum Sportsnet LA... And mm -hmm. I can't get Bally Sports uh, Southwest, mm -hmm. which carries the Angels. So right there, by me living in LA and not having cable and not having those two channels specifically, I can't watch the Dodgers. I can't watch the Angels. I can't watch the Braves when they come to town. I can't watch the Sox when they come to town. I have to actually go to the game. And that's expensive. So whatever arrangement MLB has with regional sports networks, it's hurting the growth of the game. So whoever yeah. is in charge of negotiating that contract is definitely not looking out for the fans because I'm oh. not the only one who shares the sentiment. No, you're not. How many and other people our age don't have cable but want to watch the Dodgers and are, are willing to pay for MLB TV for a year? I pay for it every single year because I know I'm going to get my money's worth. I just can't watch the Dodgers. I just can't watch the Angels. Or I can't watch teams when they play the Dodgers and when they play the Angels. Is that fair? No, of course not. But, and no, it's it's almost you know. criminal. And you know, <laughs> um, absolutely, on you. That is such a great point. I mean, you know, it's court cutting is is you know, and <laughs> the stuff that hasn't adapted is it's single handedly the biggest threat to the livelihood of every league. The NBA. Lots of people have even said that. And it does, you're absolutely right. It does seem like the MLB is struggling to live in this world, you know? And for example, like, so it's, you know, like, for example, you know, in the NBA, right? Some of the better teams, I mean, even though they're struggling with it too, they'll have literally half their games on national TV. Uh, are about close to it. So you're absolutely right, Owen. And and the unfortunate reality is 
the local people, and just like you said, it's it, it, they have to find a solution. Because uh, I can I can tell you right now that <laughs> there's not many people, you know, like me who <laughs> luckily, you know, with this, the family support, you know, have the big cable package with, you know, MLB extra innings and MLB TV and with, you know, Spectrum Sportsnet and Bally and Fox Sports West. Like, you know, you're right. Like they have to adapt in this world. Otherwise, it's just going to – and what's crazy about that too is that MLB is such a region. The MLB really is is more of a regional sport, and so it's crazy to think that people, even in the local areas, can't watch. That just mind boggles me, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's it's worth talking about for sure. Yeah, and and before we move on to, because I want to talk about a couple of things before we talk about soccer, uh, I mm-hmm. want to play devil's advocate quickly because I know mm-hmm. this argument gets tossed around a lot. And I want to address it. The argument that baseball games are way too long for people to get interested. Your proposal, Willie, gets right at the heart of that. Because if it's on TV three days in a row, sometimes four days in a row, if there's a four-day series, someone's going to do something good during those four games Mm -hmm. that's going to draw your attention to it. And who knows if that's the difference between someone turning from a fringe fan into a full-on baseball fan, or someone mm-hmm. getting into it for the very first time who has no idea, who's never even thought about watching baseball, but sees Shohei Otani go six innings, strike out 12 one night, and then hit three home runs the next night. Mm-hmm. And they get to see that back-to-back. That mm-hmm. doesn't happen right now because of the reality we live in. And mm-hmm. yes, social media plays a huge part in helping fans digest the small bits of it and for help people, helping people with small attention spans like myself, admittedly, who who don't have to watch whole games, who can just go on Twitter and get highlights and clips of Otani hitting 450 foot tanks and striking out 10 with the nastiest stuff in baseball outside of maybe DeGrom. It's, you know, it, it's, there's, there's so many different issues with baseball, but they can all be solved if MLB decides to reconsider the idea of a regional blackout, that doesn't happen with, uh, with um, what, what the, the NFL version of MLB.tv, I, the name escapes me. Um, Sunday ticket. Sunday ticket, exactly. That doesn't happen with the NFL, doesn't happen with the NBA, but it happens with baseball. Why is that the case? If someone has a good answer for me, please let me know. Tweet at me. Tweet at us H- at HDL Podcast. Let us know what you think because we have no idea. And and we're we're trying to get people to understand that what's happening in baseball this year, outside of you know a lot of other minor storylines, the big one is we are seeing something that has not been seen in a hundred years, yeah. and we are still in a pandemic, the likes of which we haven't seen in uh, about a hundred years. Wow, it's almost like those things are coincidental. If so, it, it's almost like this is a once in a lifetime kind of thing, and we just happen to live in the same era as Shohei Otani. It's unbelievable to me that it's, it's it, you could have something like this, and the attention is still not even close to where it needs to be. It drives me insane, Willie. It really does. Yeah, like you said, all it takes on is someone flipping on the TV and just. <laughs> 
like you said, seeing something they like and that's how growing you grow it or, oh, hey, and I, I'm going to get a little bit more interested in that. But if it's not visible, it's just like, wow. You know what I mean? And and sports are at their core an entertainment product. So all you need, like you said, is just to see some cool things about it. And you're just like, wow, like that's cool. And so, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I think that, you know, I think, I think that, you know, like we talked about, but a lot of times in sports, you know, um, leagues and teams, they have to take pay cuts to put their games visible on national TV, basically. And I think the MLB needs to do that more. And because, uh, yeah, on the right now, it's getting buried, <laughs> like yeah. you said. Yeah. So, Rob Manfred, this message, this message is directly for you. Yeah, and I, I, I actually just want to touch on 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 one thing too, which I cannot stress this enough. And some people were talking about it at the time. I, but I think is so so true, honestly. Like, and I think that the, for all the things like. All the criticism of, of Rob Manfred, the single biggest mistake he made, and it's not just his fault, it's others, whatever you make of the whole thing, but the, the work stoppage that happened. I mean, the MLB had such a good chance during the pandemic, like, to just, like, you know, when people were at their homes and they had that work stoppage, and MLB, I feel like, you know, just missed a huge opportunity when there was really nothing else on at the time, you know, very little, like at that point they had some soccer going on. Um, but this was before, uh, the NBA took back in the bubble. The NFL wasn't, wasn't playing and the MLB had a work stoppage. And when people were dying for things to watch and the MLB decided we're going to fight over a few dollars and cents and things like that. And they, you know, they missed a few months of the season. And people were talking about it at the time. But, you know, I, I really think that was a huge deal because you never know. Like what happens if people during, during the pandemic sat down and, and they watched baseball and they never would watch before? And like, oh, this is really cool. And they, they're going to stick with it, you know. So, I, I you know, we'll never know. But. I think that's very possible, you know? Yeah. No, I, I agree, Willie. And I think Rob Manfred is going to go down in the history books as a kick-ass commissioner for owners. Yeah. And the 0.01% of individuals in this country who own professional baseball teams. Yep. For the rest of us, yeah. for the average fan, for the diehard fan, and for the fan in passing. The once a year fan, the October fan, like my dad. He is probably the worst commissioner in sports. Not even, not even just baseball, but in sports. Wow. He makes Roger Goodell look like a saint. <laughs> Roger Goodell wow. is also famous for turning a blind eye to domestic violence, but cracking right. down on marijuana use. So make of that what you will, folks. Yeah, um, I think Gary Bettman's got his fair share of criticism too. But yeah, you know, Manfred, for sure. For sure. No, Rob Rob Manfred is a 
And and let's not forget also, Rob Manfred is the same commissioner who oversaw the investigation into the Houston Astros cheating scandal. I don't think there's there needs to be anything more said on that other than he decided to punish approximately zero players yeah. in a player-driven scandal. Yeah. Zero. But, you know, Alex mm-hmm. Cord, A.J. Hinch, you know, they were they were management, so they can take a fall, right? Right? They can they can go a year, but the, we can't we can't keep Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve off the field. What's baseball? I mean, who's who's going to watch the game? Well, apparently the same number of people because no one can watch the game anyway because it's blacked out. Yeah. I mean, come on, yep. Commissioner Manfred. Let's do something here. Let's let's get to work, please. Yeah, seriously. Like Great. I just want to watch Otani, dude. I just want to watch him when he's not on national television. That's all I want to do. That's all I want. Yeah, it's remarkable he's not on national television. <laughs> it's just like seriously. Crazy. That, that series early in the season with Chicago, the White Sox, and the Angels, I thought, yes, mm. we're going to see Otani on national television all the time. No, <laughs> that didn't happen. And, and I'm not just talking Fox MLB Saturday. I'm not talking about Sunday Night Baseball. I'm talking about a Tuesday night. The, exactly. The Angels are playing the Royals. The Angels are playing the Tigers. I don't care who they're playing. Give me Shohei Otani he content. He needs to be on there. He needs to be on there. Please. Mm-hmm. Dear Lord. Okay, yep. Willie. Well, thankfully, there's other players in baseball that we have to mention, and we spent yep. almost an hour talking about exclusively Shohei Otani, which is what the rest of baseball needs to do, but that's, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're taking that job on for ourselves. Yep. We talked about the MVP conversation in the American League, Shohei and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I don't think there's much of a conversation. It's, it's between them, and it has to be Shohei because... Otherwise, you're adjusting, you're admitting to adjusting the award to account for the fact that someone mm-hmm. is doing something that hasn't been done since Babe Ruth. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, yep. It feels like it's Otani, but we, we can't just give it to him now because there's still a month left of the season. And, and, you know, Vladdy could be part of a playoff team. Shohei will not. Yep. Yeah. But I, I was looking at this before we started recording, Willie. So Vladdy's got he hit his 40th bomb today, 40 home runs, with a 321 mm. average, yep, and a 1014 OPS. Mm. That is absurd. Yep. It, those offensive numbers alone would win MVP, I think, in any other season. Yep. It just so happens that Otani's numbers are comparable, and he also has the pitching star, <laughs> the pitching right. side of it. And he's in the same league. Yep. And in the same league. I mean, you're talking about a guy. On the mound is nine and one with a two ninety seven ERA and ten point eight Ks per nine, and he doesn't have as many win. He doesn't have as many innings as many wins as some other starters, but he makes up for it because he has forty three homers. Yeah, it's 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 more than a complete picture. I don't think yeah. there's any other discussion and, than that. No, absolutely, and um, you know it's it's interesting because you know. Um, you're absolutely right about that. You know, he's pretty, you know, clearly, I guess, second place um, in the AL. And he's a very exciting, you know, player to watch, too. Incredible. And, but, you know, I guess the good news is that, you know, before the season, you know, we were saying that, well, we were talking about, like, the MLB needs great young stars. And Vladdy Jr. was, you know, right at the high of the list. So now hopefully with Otani, now we've got two. Now, obviously, as we we just discussed, it's going to, you know, Otani most likely, no one can keep that that up. But now hopefully we've got two great players that are very exciting that could, 
you know, carry the league forward. But yeah, like what Vladdy Jr. You're right, has done is incredible, and in in most seasons would would absolutely win MVP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned Rafael Devers at all, who has a hundred yep. RBIs, <laughs> if not more. Right. I, I don't I mean, know how today's game factored into that, but as of yesterday, he had a hundred RBIs. Mm-hmm. At this point in, in September, yeah, that's that's good. That's really really good. Yeah, and in any other year, he'd be in the conversation. But sure, no, the fact just... like there is there is no conversation uh, this year at all. To you know, um, Marcus Simeon's good, having a good season as well. Yep, very good season. Yep. great Gold Glove winning shortstop who has hit who had what thirty seven home runs, <laughs> too. So there you I mean, go. Yeah. Like, there you go. You're, the, you're right. The one Blue knock Jays on are... Vlad. Yeah. Go on. And, and the one knock on Vlad, though, is is I was looking at this, too. Uh, he has negative two defensive runs saved. This is all per baseball reference. It's negative two defensive runs saved above average. So statistically, right. and this is only one source, he's slightly below average defensively at first base. But when you're as yeah. good as he is offensively, it, it doesn't really matter. Right. I mean... It's not mattering a whole lot. He's not costing his team a ton with his with his defense. I mean, I well, I mean, yeah, I I do think that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think he's pretty clearly in second place. But you know, I think if if it was close, then I absolutely think that the lack of defense does matter. Right, right, right. I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't completely derail it, but it's something you have to factor in as well. Yeah. If, if you have someone who has. Slightly worse defensive uh, offensive numbers, yep. but his defense like example, is substantially better. I mean, for example, I mean, you know, for, for example, I mean, you know, he is pretty clear in second place. But if if Laddie Jr.'s, you know, for example, if if Marcus Simeon, you know, has he has an OPS of I think eight point eight seven five. If he, if he had an OPS of like a thousand and a Gold Glove winner, I think there is a little bit of a conversation. Yep. But because, you know, he's one of the best fielders in the game. But, you know, um, but yeah, no, I agree. You know, he's still contributing really positively. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly, exactly. So in the AL, I think it's it's pretty, for the most part, it's pretty cut and dry. Uh, in, in, uh, in the National League, though, Willie, it's kind of dicey. Uh, I'm not yeah. going to lie. It's a little dicey in the National League because... Yep. Obviously, if Tatis Jr. is the front runner, front mm-hmm. MVP. But there's, I was looking at this earlier, and there's a number that doesn't do him a lot of justice. What's that? The same metric I looked at for Vlad Jr. Vladdy was negative two defensive runs saved above average. Tatis Jr. is negative seven. Look, well, because remember, so, he was having all those errors and, and stuff. Right. So he's. He has had a, a, a throughout. I mean, yes, it's a long season, and that may not be representative of the whole season, but that's still something you have to address. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's much less valuable, and I'm not saying this disqualifies him from winning the award. But then you also bring into the account, bring into the equation, Brandon Crawford, who's a perennial Gold Glove winner at short, who's having good offensive season. Mm. That brings in Austin Riley, who has a positive eight defensive runs saved above average, who's having a monster offensive year. And that brings Max Muncy back in the equation. So it's so not as cut couple, and dry. A, a couple of things about that. So first off, I should just mention 
I looked it up right now, and Marcus Simeon's actually third in wins above replacement. So, the in ESPN. So I know wins of placement are slightly different according to the site, but the metrics really like him, and uh, you know the defense and stuff. Um, but you know I will say, uh, you know, because also I should just mention he is one of the highest. I think he's in the top fifteen uh, defensive WAR this season. But to your point. Um, it does bring back in, and uh, also, I mean, you know, it, it's tough, but I think you also got to, you know, factor in the team success here, which, you know, I, I when you think about guys like a Freddie, you, I don't think you can count, you know, a, a, someone from the Reds or, like, even Freddie Freeman, but, like, if we're talking about, like, Brandon Crawford or Trey Turner or Max Muncy, like, on really, really good teams, I think there's definitely an argument to be made that if they win the division, win 100 games, you know. Um, yeah, I think particularly, I mean, I think those three guys, Crawford, Turner, and um, uh, Muncie, have really strong cases. And I would almost slightly favor them over Tatis. Yeah. And it's 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 just such a tough one because you look at, at the positive for Tatis and it's all there. It's the 1001 OPS, the 174 OPS plus, but then it's also the negative seven defensive runs saved above average. Really? It's, it's, it's not as cut and dry. It's, it's kind of a toss up. Yeah. No, I mean like absolutely. And you know, I should just mention too, right. That, um, you know, yeah, when we talk about these things, I mean, it's it's important to, to know, right? Because I think, you know, this is where, I mean, the classic analytics debate comes in. And Tatis certainly has good range and makes, like, flashy plays and throws, but hasn't had the best defensive season. And on the other hand, Max Muncy, you know, to the naked eye, I mean, you know, he doesn't hit great, but he walks all the time. He's well-known. He probably has the best eye of anyone in the MLB. And he also has a very good OPS, too. So, you know, I think sometimes, like, the numbers do matter. A little bit of the more advanced metrics do matter in, in these cases. You know? Yeah. No, it's... There's a a good point for, for a lot of that. And and the last month of the season is going to be big in determining that. And, and like you're saying, if... Dodgers won 100 games, the Giants won 100 games, and the Padres missed the playoffs, then we're talking about Crawford and Muncy having stronger cases. And even the same with Austin Riley, if the Braves you missed the playoffs. You don't Trey Turner should be in there? Uh, I mean, I, I'm obligated to, to hate Trey Turner because he's a Braves killer, but we'll we'll throw him in there, yeah. He just okay. historically destroys the Braves. I don't know what it is. It's, there's always one player from the Nationals who just kills the Braves. It used to be Ryan Zimmerman, and now it's Trey Turner. Mm. And, and I'm sure... Juan Soto's career numbers against the Braves are, are pretty pretty beefy as well. So, sorry, yeah. right, too much Atlanta on this podcast. I don't want to talk about them too much outside of Austin Riley because I'll get upset. Um, Willie, on the on the MVP conversation though, um, we haven't talked about Rookie of the Year. We haven't talked about any of the other NL stuff, but we'll save those for kind of our our pre postseason uh, episodes, if you will. We'll have to address those separately, but. 
any final thoughts on kind of the MVP discussion, if you will? MVP? Uh, I would say, you know, um, like, uh, I it's kind of gotten over... Well, I don't want to say overshadowed, but, it, you know, the MLB is much more entertaining when Bryce Harper is good. <laughs> mm. Oh, Bryce Harper has to be in that conversation, too. He's had a monster second half and then yep. just a, a really, really good year altogether. And he, he you know, he, Bryce Harper is also one of the few guys, I mean, along with, you know, Otani that can really, you know, just, he's just interesting. You know, he's very interesting and can carry a league, you know, too, like with his entertainment. So, yeah. As much as I may not like him for, you know, obviously for being a, a lifelong NL East <laughs> opponent of the Braves, uh, he baseball is better when Bryce Harper is playing well and yep. when he's healthy. It's it's just it's just he is he is the most marketable player in baseball because yep. he just he does not give a shit about anything. And it's fantastic. He doesn't care about what kind of stupid questions he's going to get asked in the press. He doesn't care about <laughs> this, that, and the other. He's going to get offered a big contract. He's going to go to Philadelphia. He's going to have a gaffe in a press conference. He's not going to care. He's going to hit a walk-off grand slam and sprint around the bases. He's going to be Bryce Harper. And yep. it's it's baseball needs more characters like Bryce Harper. Yeah. Better when he's good. That's all there is to it. Absolutely. I may Absolutely. not like him because he doesn't play for the Braves. If he played for the Braves, he'd be my favorite player, probably. He's one of those yeah. guys, He you love him when he plays for your team, and you hate him when he doesn't. Well, I'll tell you what, Owen. I think it'd be great for the league if, you know, if the Phillies win that division and, you know, we get Bryce Harper in the playoffs. Uh, <laughs> Again, that would be yeah, yeah. positive for the league. But that would mean your your prediction wouldn't come true because the whoever wins the yeah. NL East is going to be the only playoff team out of that division. The division is a dumpster fire right now. It, it really would be is. in the Braves right now would be in fourth place in the NL West. They are yeah. they are behind the Dodgers and the Giants and the Padres. Yeah. So it, they're going to struggle yep. with ninety games. I'll say I'll leave it at that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Willie, we want to talk about U.S. men's national team qualifiers really mm-hmm. quickly for the World Cup. Yep. But I, I want to quickly just give our, our listeners a nice view of, of the standings in baseball right now. We're going to run through these really, really quickly. And Willie, I'm going to get you a yes or no. Is this team making the playoff? We're going to go really, really quickly through okay. the composite Rep. standings. All right. Rep. AL All right. East. Tampa Bay in first. Yankees, uh, second place, eight and a half out. Boston, nine out. Toronto, 12 out. Who makes the playoffs outside of Tampa Bay? Because I've Tampa Bay, it seems like they're pretty much a lock to win to make the playoffs at this point. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go uh, the Yankees. Yankees are a lock, and then Boston and Toronto won't make it. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think that you know, in that second spot, Red Sox. Red Sox. So Yankees, Red Sox, and uh, Tampa Bay out of the American League East. Yep. So no other wild cards for Willie in the American League. Chicago winning the Central. Yeah. And yeah. Houston winning the West. Yep. I I would agree with that. I I think though Toronto has shown a couple signs as, as of late specifically that that I, I would not count them out yet. No. But ultimately they're the, still well in it. Yep. Boston, mm-hmm. New York, and and Tampa Bay seems pretty. I mean, it, not safe, but it's a, it's a logical pick at this point in the season. Uh, the Central, you no chance for for the for Cleveland, Willie. No chances here. <laughs> Ten games is, is a little bit too many. <laughs> Ten games is what, 20, 27 to go? 
Yep. 26 to go, something like that. Yeah. We'll, so, we'll see. Two. Two. Any chance of Mariners? I want to see the Mariners in the playoffs so bad. I do. Wow. Because it's it, they, they've been so much fun this year. It's Dylan Moore had a, a big grand slam a couple days ago. That was really big. And they, they've just had a lot of those moments this year. And obviously being on the wrong end of the Kendall Graveman deal and, and all the, the bad publicity early in the season with their former GM talking about playing time and, 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 and right. whatnot. Um, and Jared Kelnick coming up and being a big deal. Um, or at least, you know, by name being a big deal. It, mm-hmm. It's just, I want to see it, but I just, Toronto, Boston, and New York, it, that, that's a lot ahead of them. So it's, I, I want to see it personally, but I don't. Yeah, it would be great. It if, would be great. If we look at the wild card, there are three games out right there with Toronto. But yeah. Toronto and Seattle head to head. I mean, if if you had to pick one of those, to challenge Boston, probably say Toronto because they they still have to play Boston. Yep. So there's sure they've got ground to make up right there. It can go either way, but 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 yeah, for sure. And and I will say though, one more team is in the hunt if we're counting uh, if we're counting out Cleveland and every team behind them. Uh, Oakland three and a half games out. They we haven't mentioned off. them a lot. They really fell off. They did, but they're still they're three and a half games back, and anything can happen in September. Just ask they're the right there. Uh, ask the Mets. Yeah. I I wonder, you know, who's going to look back with more regret, Oakland or or Boston? Cuz both those teams really fell off. I I'd, I'd say Boston cuz they were they were in first or fighting for first for a lot of the season then Tampa Bay just pulled away and Boston hit a wall second half of the season. They they really the same. went a big big struggle, lots of losses. Not uh-huh. not ideal. No. Uh okay. So, that's the American League. We have excuse me. We have Tampa Bay, New York, Boston, Chicago, and Houston uh, making it to the playoffs this year, according to Willie. Yep. The National League. Here we go. (laughs) January 14th, 2021, Willie picks the Atlanta Braves to win the World Series in 2021. And with just under a month left in the season, Willie, the Braves are in first place by a game and a half over the Philadelphia Phillies. Do the Braves win this division? Yes. Yes, I do think they'll win the division. How about you? I'm going to say no. Okay, Phillies? Because of two left-handed pitchers the Braves thought would be a good idea to sign and be the, the messiahs the Braves have needed for forever. Will Smith and Drew Smiley. Wow. If you're a Braves fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not a Braves fan... Drew Smiley can't stop giving up home runs, and Will Smith is a blown save waiting to happen. That's all yeah. I need. That, that's all there is to it. I mean, well, they did. They did. Uh, they did sign Charlie Morton, though. That was a good, good sign. <laughs> and and they're still collectively between Albies and Acuna, they combined are going to make less than Charlie Morton next year. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. It's a lot of money. Charlie Charlie Morton's going to be thirty-seven years old, thirty-eight years old next year, or he's he's. He's too close to forty to be pay, to be paid twenty million dollars a year. <laughs> it's a lot. Of I'm money. sorry. He's too. He's way too close to forty. I don't care what the sabermetrics say. I don't care what the analytics say. Invest that money just some other way. Just not Charlie Morton, please. Ask him to take a pay cut. Anything else? Get someone who's not thirty-eight years old, please, please. Um, 
No, I, I think the Braves are going to choke because of um, their inability to to properly address a glaring issue in the rotation and the pitching staff in general. Mm. Uh, I did not have Luke Jackson being the Braves' best reliever on my 2021 <laughs> bingo card, and I I hate that that's the case because it shouldn't be. <laughs> it, that should not be the case. It's, everything about the Braves is so backwards this year. It'll be a miracle if they win the division. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we. I remember you sent me a text after Cunha got hurt that it was the done. But hey, <laughs> despite all that, they're they're right there. Um, well, they won't win the World I, Series. That I know Cunha I've this. I know I've mentioned this um, a lot of times, but. Mark Melanson has a 1.92 ERA. Yep. yep. And the Braves thought they could re-sign Will Smith instead. Hmm. Wonder how that one worked out. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm so done with the Braves, dude. I'm so done. Mm. So done with this team. And this is this isn't a year where the Braves are going to have all four players on their infield hit 25 or more home runs. When does that happen? Every single yeah. infielder for the Braves has hit 25 more home runs. It's incredible. Or is going to at some point. They haven't already. Yeah. I think, they, I think they did reach that point. I'm not sure. But e- either way, Freddie Freeman has turned it around. He's a fringe MVP candidate. Austin Riley's an MVP candidate. Dansby Swanson yep. has turned it around and had a monster yep. second half. Ozzy Albies has continued to hit, even after fouling one off the knee at Dodger Stadium, which looked like it hurt a lot. Yeah. Couldn't put any weight on it. Um. It's just, it's, and they're the only team in that division with a positive run differential. Which the Phillies is... are minus two, the Mets right. are minus 13, and the the Nats and Marlins are both well, well worse than that. And I'm not going to mention the Nats are negative no. 78, the Marlins are which, negative 73. Which is good. Sorry. Sometimes in MLB, you can have teams with lots of wins, but not a good run differential. Yep. <laughs> Win a lot of close games. Although every division leader this year has close to, if not around 100, just under 100, uh, plus 100 win differ- uh, run yep. differential this year. Very good. Every division leader. Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay 175, Chicago 136, Houston 175, Atlanta 94, Milwaukee 106, and San Francisco. And, and <laughs> LA has a 220, 219 run differential. It is it is stupid how good the Dodgers are. And they're not even in first place in their division. Oh, and I just want to say one quick thing on that subject before we move on to soccer, which is that this talk we talked about Otani for sure. Uh, in terms of like uh, like I said at the beginning, in terms of uh, a pennant race, I mean this is um, the for a division race. This is one of the most exciting. I was trying to think of like. A comparison for like how exciting it's been and honestly like the only thing like yeah a few years ago the Rays and the Yankees dueled it out a little bit but the only thing I mean I can recall you know off the top of my head about like a division race in our lifetime that was like this exciting was I mean you know twenty I mean not even a division race but just or twenty eleven it came down to the last game of the season two thousand seven there was a good race too but I yeah. mean seriously I don't know how you could possibly get and this might go down as maybe the best division race of our lifetime I mean two teams 
They're going to win 100 games. They're the, they have the best records in the MLB, uh, tied with the Rays. The Dodgers are, I think, less than. But um, you know, the fact that they the season series was 10 to nine, <laughs> and the fact that they might end up tied and have to play a tiebreaker mm-hmm. <laughs> just to win the division to avoid that second wild card. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's it's so top heavy too. The the top three teams in baseball all have are within one game of each other. The Giants are 88 and 50. They have the best record in baseball by a game over the Rays and the Dodgers, who are both 87 and 51. I mean, it's it. This is insanity. The two teams with the two best records in baseball going at it in the same division all the way until we hope until the final day, because that would that would just make it 10 times better. But mm. you're right, Willie. I mean, 2011. I remember that it was, it was the Braves and the Red Sox both choked their divisions away in the last day. Uh, that was really painful because it happened within minutes of each other. Um, what else? Uh, 2007 with the Mets, where they had that massive lead in September, and they ended mm-hmm. up just collapsing like mm-hmm. crazy. And then mm-hmm. Philly won the World Series the next year. Um, I don't think we've had anything like this, though. We've had the worst division races in our lifetime with the Braves in the 90s and early 2000s, and now we've had the best. So I guess mm-hmm. we're, uh, we're blessed as baseball fans in that regard. Yeah, on well, the 2011 Braves, not not good, not not a good month. <laughs> nope, just like with Boston and the whole um, fried chicken in the dugout fiasco. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, not uh, not a good look. Do you know what the Braves' record was in September 20 uh, that uh, that year? The 2010 11. It was single digit wins for sure. It was a really really bad year. It was nine and eighteen. Nine and yep. eighteen. Not good. Not good. Not good. Not good. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the Braves are winning the division, according to Willie. I think the Phillies are going to come back and, and beat them on the, the last series of the year. Uh, Milwaukee in the Central, uh, they're up by 11. I don't think there's, they're going to lose that division. I mean, yep. stranger things have happened. Obviously, we're just talking about it, but yeah. it would be tough. And then we talked about the, the Dodgers and the Giants uh, in the West. But in the wild card, though, this yeah. is going to be interesting because the American yep. League wild card has, I mean, the Mets are, they have an outside chance, which is scary. Yep. Like how close it is. The Mets are four and a half back in the wild card. The Cardinals <laughs> are three and a half back. This, this is all the second wild card spot. The Dodgers, whoever doesn't win the NL West is going to have the first wild card by a lot. Uh, Dodgers are up a 13 and a half on San Diego. San Diego has a one game lead over Cincinnati. Two games over Philadelphia, three and a half over St. Louis, and then four and a half over the Mets. Everyone else is 10 or worse. So, I mean, well, it's, it is going to be a, a crazy, frenetic end to baseball season this year. And I think after what happened last year with the 60-game season, we couldn't have asked for anything better. I really think no. this is the best possible outcome. For I don't know. I don't know what's a. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. I think um, you know. Don't forget about Cincinnati. You mm-hmm. know that's right. They're right there. Right in it. <laughs> Great story. But yeah, I think I know this is what the league wanted in terms of. I mean, in a normal season, right? I mean, what would there be to play for, right? And seriously, like I hate I hate it because it's unfair. But at the same time, what would there be when the MLB designed the second wild card? This exact situation where the Dodgers are like 14 games better. A normal season, really, the only you know, 
two teams that'd be worth watching in September for a casual fan, you know, it would be well those three teams in the NL East really, because their division's kind of still up for grabs. The Mets kind of an outside chance, so really two yeah. teams. But now it's like, yeah, you better. I can promise you the Dodgers do not want to get in a one-game playoff with no. the, especially with the Padres. <laughs> so. No, no, no. You don't want to be in a one-game playoff because. Because guess who San Diego can roll out there, even if you Darvish is isn't isn't good to go. Although, yeah. who, are, who are you pitching if you're the Dodgers, Bueller or Scherzer? Bueller. Bueller. Uh, Bueller's Bueller's had a. I think Scherzer's been a little more inconsistent than Bueller. Scherzer technically has a better ERA than than Bueller. But I think Bueller is is for at least for my money. It, the Grand Slam against the Braves in 2018 aside. Bueller has been nails in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Every single time he takes the ball, you're thinking. God, three hits might be would be a fantastic day against this guy, let mm-hmm. alone a run or two. I mean, he he is nails in the postseason. So I personally would oh. take Bueller, and he's also younger too. So on, uh, just listen to this just real quick. Bueller has had a better season. You're right; he's been so consistent. Other than he got hit pretty hard against the Giants a couple days ago. Yeah. Listen to this now. <laughs> um. Uh, I here's this. I saw this tweet. Scherzer, National League, in National League, top ERA, top WHIP, top opposing batting average, and coming into the day, he had his best ever personal ERA, and that only got better because he shut down St. Louis. So, you know, that's uh, incredible. I'm gonna put it right out there, Willie, and I maybe should save this for hot takes, but it's. It's not even that hot of a take. If the Dodgers don't win the World Series this year, it's a, it's an embarrassment. <laughs> to have that much talent on the team and that much experience and to not win the World Series? Are, you went and got one of the top pitchers in baseball and one of the top infielders in baseball and one of the fastest players in baseball to add to Mookie Betts and a former MVP in Cody Bellinger and Max Muncie, an MVP candidate, and Will Smith, one of the top young catchers. And a pitching staff that already has one of the front runners for NL Cy Young and Walker Bueller. How do you not win the World Series? Yeah. And that's not even counting Henley Jansen, who's had a bit of a resurgence lately, mm. with the experience of David Price. And just he may not even make the postseason roster. That's how yeah. that's how stacked they are at every single position. And then there's Corey Seeger, World Series MVP from last year. Justin Turner, the perennial 300 hitter. Max Muncy. <laughs> Max, it's 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 an embarrassment. AJ Pollock is having a monster year, and he just went on the IL. But it, it yeah, how do you Taylor. not win the World Series Avery the Dodgers? How, how? I I, I don't see it. Tampa Bay is not going to come close. San Diego is going to get their their asses handed to them. I don't think San Francisco is there yet. I mean, <laughs> they've won. Yes, they have the best record in baseball, have- sure, but. We have, we gotta remember that there's still a chance Kershaw comes back too. <laughs> exactly. That you want to make matters worse, <laughs> add add a first ballot Hall of Famer. And Julio, I mean Julio's pitching well. Yeah. No. Urias is nails. Euler's. Na- I mean, come on. It's an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. So it's embarrassing no. if they don't win the World Series. Well, I mean, you know, I would say, <laughs> you know. Based on pay, I just what the Giants are doing is incredible. <laughs> just like what it comes down to, but yeah, absolutely. And I do think it is important to note, though, that you know, and you mentioned this, but 
it's been kind of well documented. I think the thing, I mean, if you had to put one pinpoint it, you know, I mean, the injuries to Ker- the Kershaw and also just the injuries and the, you know, Betts has had one of the worst seasons of his career. You know, he recovered, but he's been, you know, he was injured and then he's, he's you know, back and not his best. But if Mookie Betts was playing like an MVP, but also I should we should mention too that Trey Turner <laughs> comes in and is playing like I said in the MVP conversation. We didn't even mention Trey Turner. <laughs> you know, like so, what do you, what do you want? <laughs> like what more do the Dodgers need? What what more? I I don't know what else they need to be World Series overwhelming World Series favorites. And they got uh, well. Let's say hopefully in the playoffs. Dave Roberts decides to pitch uh, Blake Trinan in the closer spot and not uh, Kenley Jansen. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I watched as much of the Braves series as I can when they were in town. Uh, I didn't get to go to the game, but you know, hopefully the Braves get to come back to L.A. and get swept by the Dodgers again so I can at least see it in person and see how poorly constructed the Braves roster is this season. Uh, Blake Trinan was so good against the Braves. Yeah, Every single pitch he threw had the amount of movement that made Blake Trinan a sub-1 ERA guy a few years ago. And when the Dodgers signed him, I thought, he's going to get back to his best, no question. And, yeah, and this is Blake Trinan at his best. And yeah, he had incredible tear, too. So, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's incredible. When you throw that heavy sinker that's coming at you in 98 with a frisbee of a slider... Yeah. <laughs> dude, how do you... It's, it's, this is why we marvel at at baseball players, isn't it? It's because mm-hmm. it's it's so hard to hit a baseball, let alone when it's moving that much. Absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But mm-hmm. we are in for a jam packed month of September, Willie, and I am ready for it. Me too. Here for it. Me too. Bring it on. Mm-hmm. It's great. September and October baseball is great. <clears throat> it's it's the best. There's nothing like it. It's nothing like the postseason. Willie, uh, we got to talk about the U.S. men's national team, though, and, and, and talk about the beautiful game. Men's national team sucks. <laughs> mm. Men's national team is trash. Yeah. Yeah, no, oh, I think... Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah, you know, I watched both games, and, you know, um, I think that, honestly, I do think they will still qualify. However, I think that the, you know, the performance against Canada, not just the result, but the eye test, was, I mean, really just so bad and I mean it's just a complete failure on um, kind of US soccer on the coaching staff both in game and pre-planning and on the players for how they looked Um, and I just thought Saturday was the epitome of just awful coaching and awful you know, um, management overall of planning for the three games and then also just a terrible performance, which lacked, you know, and no heart either, you know, forget the tactics, just no heart, no desire. 
And um, it's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be an absolute dogfight. And U.S. plays a very difficult game in Honduras. Um, it rarely ever wins on the road at Honduras. And so, yeah, if, if you know, alarm bells most likely will be ringing after, after Wednesday. Um, it's just, you know, if the, if the team sometimes, you know, like in the case of Mexico, they didn't play great two games, but won both by goal. Sometimes, you know, the results can, can make up for it some, or, but sometimes, or sometimes in the reverse, you know, the, you don't play well, uh, or sometimes, you know, you play really well and maybe just things don't go your way, but you know, Two, particularly last game, just, bad, you know, bad performance. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just unbelievable how, you know, bad they look. And I think as a U.S. big U.S. soccer fan, I think there's lots of reasons to be worried that I think you've mentioned this earlier on that. Now, I, I think in a bigger picture discussion, I think that there are there are certain flaws in the manager in terms of tactics and roster selection um, that I think both, like I said, in game and who to bring for the qualifying in general that could be fixed. But ultimately, like you said, right, it's, it's like, you know, uh, this golden generation, right? It's, <laughs> it's not looking so golden right now. That's for sure. Despite how tough, you know, qualifying can be. World Cup qualifying. For a country with the resources of the United States, yeah. player pool, talent, and the amount of money they can put into developing a world-class, World Cup qualifying team. That is the, 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 the yep. minimum guideline. They have made a mess of that. Because the U.S. soccer thought the logical next step following Jurgen Klinsmann was Bruce Arena. Yeah. And then following Bruce Arena was Greg Berhalter. Wow. If someone had only thought that was a terrible idea. Huh. You know, I don't I don't think that I I don't think that the Bruce Arena hiring was that bad in the sense that, you know, it happened uh on the fly. The US had lost their first two games of World Cup qualifying. And to get someone that quickly when not a ton of managers are available who's experienced and, like, knows some of the players, you know, I don't think was the worst hire, even though he was old. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I definitely think the Burhalter move, There, while there's some things to like and the U.S. played really well this last year, you know, there's some really um, troubling trends here, you know, <laughs> and, and so – so yeah, I, I just, but I, I honestly just think that, like, I just felt like what was so troubling. That that bottom line is that, and I listened to both podcasts, full podcasts with Grant Wall and Chris Winningham and Landon Donovan, and they were talking about similar things, <laughs> but just Wednesday or Sunday's performance was just so bad. Uh, Canada probably deserved to win the game. And the U.S. played with no heart. They were slow. 
they looked really bad defensively. Uh, the manager decided to, I think, bring the wrong players, play the wrong players, and not make any substitutions. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I just think it was a really bad performance. And, I, you know, it. sometimes you look at, at, at a team, and honestly, like, you know, the this is the unfortunate part about this is that this has been a trend under Greg Berhalter, which is that you know people talk about like it's nice to play nice football and press, and that's good, but really struggling to make anything when teams play compact, and it's been a theme where the U.S. just dominates possession but really can't create many chances and it's so obvious to me that they need more subs for fresh legs and they need formation a formation tweak and more attacking players in the lineup so i mean i just think bottom line is that you know i do believe the manager deserves to be hammered because i think the way he treated the canada game was just completely wrong and you know but yeah, and you know, so there's a lot of things. Also, I mean, the Weston McKinney part of it is pretty crazy too. So, you know, um, he's just a human. You know, we all make mistakes, and it's fine. But you know, I, obviously, Weston McKinney not having him for one two games. I mean, very easily could be the difference between one, you know, six points and one point or whatever we get. So, yeah. Honestly, Willie, I, I haven't been paying enough attention to the qualifiers because number yeah. one, it's it's just kind of like it for for these for this international break to fall exactly where it did, right yeah, after a, we had this start of of the Premier's top leagues again. And how great the Premier League's been! My God, the fans are back. The Premier League's back. Cristiano Ronaldo's back. We haven't talked about the transfer window at all. It, it's it's. I hate United, but I love the fact that Ronaldo's back. It makes the league so much more entertaining. Yes, it does. But it's just it 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 leads you to not care about these qualifiers, especially as a fan of the of the U.S. men's national team, because again, their standard is not qualify for the World Cup. The standard has turned into don't lose to Mexico. That can't be the standard. Greg Berhalter is not the right manager. He never was the right manager. He's never going to be the right manager. You don't just hire someone who came straight from the MLS because he's American. You don't hire a manager because they're American. You hire them because they're the best person for the job. I don't know if who if no one else was available, but if the right person's not available, go with an interim coach. So what's interesting about it's so what's what's interesting about um What's interesting about, and I want to get to a bigger picture point and, and a smaller point. What's interesting, like while Berhalter has done some good things, what, what's interesting is is to tell you how much of a crisis mode it's in. And, and I'm, I'm taking this right from, uh, you know, Grant Wall's podcast where he was talking with Landon Donovan and Chris Whittingham. And Landon Donovan has tons of, obviously, real-world insight. But they, they were talking about how in the post-game press conference— you know, Christian Pulisic, who is pretty, you know, if you watch his interviews, I mean, he's pretty, he doesn't say much, 
you know, he doesn't really, you know, expand much. But lots of stuff about tactics. And uh, Pulisic, without directly saying his name, obviously, was, you know, if you read between the lines, seemingly, according to them, you know, very critical of the manager. You know, he said that the team lacked ideas going forward, which when a team like Canada, you know, like I said, I watched both games, like Canada really parked the bus. And they deserved to. They said, you know, we're going to put 10 men behind the ball. You know, we don't have a great defense, but we have Tejan Buchanan. We have Alfonso Davies. Jonathan David was on the bench, but we have, you know, Junior Hoylet. We have some good players. Um, and, you know, and so so he was, he was talking about the, the coaching and the patterns. I thought it was ridiculous that the U.S. not only decided to play with three not a midfielder in an advanced position, but also three defensive kind of oriented midfielders instead of playing more of an attacker in the midfield, um, which I thought was absurd. He also mentioned that he thought he wished the U.S. changed their game plan after going up a goal. And what was astonishing, because if you watch the game, what was astonishing was, so I understand, and this, this like, I, you have to hammer the manager because Two points could be the difference between not qualifying for the World Cup and you have to win your games at home. But what was astonishing was that the whole game, the U.S. looked tired. It was a bad performance. Uh, you know, it was, it was a bad performance. But in the second half, the U.S. got killed the whole half. I mean, they just looked dead. Canada was just, they were giving the ball away. Canada was counterattacking, lots of open space. They looked way more energetic. Canada brought on five subs. By the time, and the U.S. had only made one substitution until the 80th minute, and that was for an injury to Sergio Dest. And what was ridiculous about it was the U.S. looked so tired, and the and Stuart Holden, you know, the commentator kept saying they have to sub, they have to bring on subs. You can win the game, but if not, you're going to lose the game because the players look so tired. And literally, it not only cost the U.S. two points. The U.S. should have lost the game simply because the manager didn't bring on fresh legs. And all of a sudden, he brought on fresh legs in like the 82nd minute, and the U.S. played a good last eight minutes. But it's just mind-boggling that you would just decide not to care about the game. And I understand you got another game, but this game is too important. Like, you know, you can rest in the hotel. <laughs> so, you know, it was just really, really bad management because if you watch the game it's like man crazy so you ever you ever get the sense that christian pulisic gets the full-on sunday scaries um not from a hangover of course but every time he has to join the men's national team from his club team you ever you ever think he's just sitting on that plane like god i was just playing with angolo conte and tiago silva and kai havertz and Antonio Rudiger, and, so, and now I have to play he, for so Greg. So it's crazy about watching Pulisic, and I'm glad you mentioned this, but we can talk to others. But Pulisic tore up World Cup qualifying. He had they flash graph, you know. He had in 2018, he had seven goals and six assists. And I remember watching; he was the U.S.'s best player, you know. Because I watch all these, I try to watch every single World Cup qualifying match. But um, there's been a trend under Burhalter. In particular, um, and you know, a lot of it's the team too, where Pulisic really struggles to get involved. And you know, <laughs> Alexi Lawless talked about it, but it's true when you watch the games. 
when and some of this comes down to the manager, some of it comes down to players. But when you play, when you decide to be overly defensive and play with no good creative midfield players or guys who are not only, you know, not good, but, you know, really struggle to keep the ball at times, like just below average, like, you know, players in the midfield. And when you have a, a striker who can't score, uh, you know, struggles for number nine position, you know, all the pressure is on, you know, the two wingers, you know, be it usually Pulisic and Gio Reyna, but Reyna's injured, so it's Brendan Aronson or Conrad De La Fuente. And so Pulisic has to be the one, like, he can't stay close to the goal. He has to be the one. He has to drop back into the midfield, literally try to take on everyone and, and break people down instead of staying high up the field or staying wide and taking players one-on-one closer to the box because the U.S. has no creativity. And that, like I said, a lot of that comes down to the manager because he could play more creative players. There are also players he didn't bring to the the World Cup on the World Cup qualifying roster who are creative players. Um, and also the insistent for so long that Josh Sargent be the striker when he never scores. <laughs> and so when you cut ball in this, you know, it's there's a lot. Pre- Pulisic literally just has says I have to do everything, and you watch him. And you watch him in the Canada game, and it's crazy. Like, he's dropping back to midfield, you know, like not only trying to take players on, but but just doing unreasonable things. Instead of moving the ball, they'll be like, oh, okay, I've got the ball 30 yards from the goal on the left side. I'm going to try to beat two defenders and then pass the ball to the forward because otherwise if I give the ball to the center midfield, they're just going to give the ball away, and Canada's just going to come on the, on the the on the attack. You know, it's so it's it's just it's it's the and also Greg Berhalter, I have to say this, has an assistance on he loves Sebastian Legette because he has a connection from him with the MLS. But Sebastian Legette always plays. Kellen Acosta always plays. And they just kind of drive him crazy, even though they're not bad players. But, you know, anyways, <laughs> lots to be worried about. But. You know, I think uh, the U.S. is in fourth right now, and um, you know, hopefully they'll gain experience and improve. That's the hope, Willie. That is that is the hope. Yep. But it, that's all it is. It's just a hope. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. I'm. Uh, uh, truth be told, the day the Greg Berhalter hiring was announced, I kind of sank <laughs> a little bit because I kind of had a feeling that this would happen. Yeah. Because. Again, I use this line as a joke, but it's also factual. I mean, obviously, it's before the summer when when the U before the U.S. won the gold cup, which it did not seem like a, a game the U.S. deserved to win. That and the Nations League final against Mexico, it, it just neither one yeah. of those games seemed like games the U.S. actually deserved to win. So the result was fine or whatever. But prior to this summer, Greg Berhalter's career accomplishments we're talking his accolades everything he's earned as a manager let's take a look shall we Mm. include being the manager of columbus crew in mls Mm. did they win the mls cup no they did not they played nice football but were disappointed a little bit did Mm -hmm. they win no they did not win trophies 
Did they have any world-class? No, they didn't have any world-class players, huh? Yeah, it's almost like having him as a manager is a gigantic step backwards. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this should be okay. U.S. soccer needs to figure out what the hell they're doing wrong. Or they need to listen to what people are saying they're doing wrong and, and fix yep. it. Because it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not up to snuff right now. It's not. I, I can't bring myself to watch. Also because most of the U.S. men's national team games are on Fox and I don't want to hear John Strong's voice. So I'll probably have to watch it in Spanish. But it's just, dude, it's <laughs> so hard to watch the national team these days. It's so hard to watch them. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, you know, I, I, I just want to say one more thing, which is, um, you know, it has nothing to do with the person because I made so many bad mistakes. But I do just want to say that, you know, um, and for, you know, for people who don't know uh, Weston McKinney, the one of the star players and the captain at times of uh, the U.S. men's national team, um, he got suspended from the team and even kicked in the news today. So he not only missed the last game, but he's going to miss Wednesday's game. And the, and the team sent him back to Italy for violating COVID protocols. And, uh, you know, we don't know exactly what happened, but I'm not here to bash anyone for making mistakes. I do it all the time. I'm more just concerned that as a U.S. fan, we're not going to have him in the team anymore because, uh, you know, a court, if you— the to Landon Donovan, you know, said, "quote It's almost beyond repair," and he end quote, and he knows what happened, and so, you know, I have no idea what happened. We all make mistakes. Has nothing to do with the person, at all, and uh, nothing unusual. But I am concerned, you know, if Landon Donovan, who knows exactly what happened, and he said that, and he said that quote. Uh, you know, I don't know if there was not only in addition to whatever COVID protocol violation, but maybe, you know, some fallouts with teammates and the manager. But I mean, man, if the U.S. doesn't have Weston McKinney in a uniform, I mean, man, that that completely changes the team. So yep. all I'm saying, Willie, is if it's down to a clash with the manager, then there's a very clear, very clear thing to do. Very, very clear. Hmm. If it's more than that, obviously, then, then it's worth taking some time. But if it's if it's down to a conflict with Greg Berhalter, of all people, yeah, just out he goes. Right. Someone, right. someone try to get in touch with Sam Allardyce's reps. Someone find it, find out Tony Pulis wants the job. They need someone who's gonna who's gonna very, very easily simplify the game yeah. and bring a true, no nonsense approach to this. We're not talking. The American version of Sam Allardyce. No, we want the actual Big Sam. Or, I mean, hell, does Arsene Wenger want a job? Yeah. I mean, literally anyone with a set idea, with an established track record of doing something that isn't managing the Columbus crew. Yeah. That, that's all That's all we ask. I'm not Absolutely. asking to win the World Cup in 2024. Or, uh, sorry, 2022. Or 2026. Or 2030. Or 2034. Yeah. But just qualify for the damn tournament. Yep. Please. Just just make it. Just go play in the World Cup. Get knocked out in, in the round of 16 again. That's all that's all I want. That's all I want. 
for this country to get a false sense of, of the U.S. being good and then for it to be brought straight back down to earth. <laughs> yeah. Because maybe it'll remind us that, like, hey, maybe maybe we should play this sport because everyone else does and we should be good at it. Hello. Hello. Uh, U.S. men's national drives me insane. My, my, my late friend James would be rolling around on the floor right now if he, if he knew anything was going on. He'd be so upset. Oh, he beside himself, dude. I, I, he and I would all have these long conversations about, uh, about the men's national team. Oh, wow. And, uh, it, it's just, it's, it always ended the same way with like, dude, we're terrible. And we're just like, yeah, no, we, we are, we're, we're bad. Really, really bad. Yep. So anyways, um, Willie, I do want to give college football a little mention it just in the interest of time though, because I know we're running a little longer than, than we'd Mm. anticipate, but college football is back. Willie it's back at its finest college football, Notre Dame winning an overtime thriller against unranked FSU because it's Notre Dame, Georgia, curb stomping Clemson. And by that, I mean just suffocating who is supposed to be a good quarterback for Clemson and Alabama putting up Alabama-type numbers in a game featuring Alabama because Alabama. Yeah. Hmm. There's a college football roundup, folks. <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, no. It was. I think it was a really great uh, return to college football. Oklahoma being tested week one by Tulane of all schools Yeah, was funny to see. Um, UCLA beating out LSU, Chip Kelly. Jeez. Is yeah. Chip Kelly good? <laughs> My brother texted me this morning. He's like, Chip Kelly good? Question mark. Yeah. No, I mean, Chip, Pe- Chip Kelly go burr. <laughs> um, no, on the real though, Willie, I was, and, and of course, this is the Georgia bias. I was really encouraged by Georgia on the defensive side of the ball because I think that in the couple years since the run to the title game, that has been the biggest concern for me because the offense with Georgia is always going to be the same. It's going to be game manager, someone who can hand the ball off, 35, 40 times a game and complete checkdowns on third down and move the chains when necessary. Mm. Take one shot, maybe sure. downfield per game. But mm-hmm. Georgia, it, it's it's typical smash mouth SEC football. Yeah. Defensively, though, to to do that to Clemson yeah. and to outscore the offense, I think was it was encouraging. Not from the offensive side. The offense is going to raise some raise some alarm bells. But mm. defensively, Georgia looked really, really good. And I'm very thrilled that they kind of showed the world that, like, Clemson, without Trevor Lawrence and without Travis Etienne, not, not very good. And, yes, they have a young O. It's a new O line, and they're young. And, yeah. And, and well, it's just a reminder, basically, that the ACC is garbage, yeah. and Clemson plays – how many games against ranked teams per year? One? Maybe two? Yeah, sure. Usually a couple, yeah. Because yeah. you've got, you know, North Carolina's been good and you usually have... But yeah, for sure, no, the ACC is, you know, the SEC is by far the best. I mean, I don't want to say Clemson is that bad because it was Georgia we're talking about, you know, and it was a close game. Um, but yeah, for sure. I mean, also Miami got, I mean... Obviously, Alabama is most likely the best team again. But then again, Miami had national championship aspirations, and they got steamrolled. Um, 
so yeah, no, I think the um, and I I do, but yeah, no, you should give credit. I think the Georgia performance was credible, not just because. Clemson has a very good quarterback, but, you know, they also have – Clemson usually has a very good offense, and they have some very talented players still. They still have Justin Ross, who tore up the national championship game, you know, a couple years ago, and, you know, and some good receivers. And so to do what they did was, was you know, really incredible. And I think that, you know, when you look at the the SEC this year – it's going to be uh, also Ole Miss, you know, did really well today. But I, I think, you know, I know it's some, it, it, it kind of, you know, feels that way all the time. But it's incredible this year. Like I'm really could, – it could be really crazy because, you know, you've got Texas A&M, who's a preseason top 10. People are saying this is their best ever team. You've got Ole Miss, which is supposedly going to be really good. LSU was supposed to be really good. Florida is very good. Um, and, you know, there's obviously – obviously Georgia is going to be up there with the best couple teams in the country. So it's going to be really – and also I should just say that, you know, Auburn has a new coach. South Carolina has a relatively new coach too. So, you know, lots of competition other than Vanderbilt. <laughs> The SEC is reminding everyone how good it is, top to bottom, not just the top, not just top two, but everyone in that conference. Every yeah, sure. every week on Georgia's schedule, every week on Alabama's schedule, a little less so, I think a little less so Georgia. The SEC West is so much it's, stronger historically yes, than, yes. than the East. But, I mean, Florida is going to be a tough game for Georgia. South Carolina is going to be a tough game for Georgia. Uh Tennessee yeah. is going to be tough. Auburn's not going to be an easy game either because Bo Nix, this would be what, Bo Nix's third or fourth year? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Georgia does not have an easy game really on the schedule. And at least not like a, you know, within reason, put it that way. But it's, it's, the SEC this year is, is going to grab the headlines, maybe for the wrong reasons because it's the SEC and because, Vaccination is such a, a, a huge taboo with some people um, because of, of political reasoning or just misinformation, whatever you want to call it. But as far as the football itself, if this is any indication of what the team, what the conference is going to be like this year, and, and even LSU losing their first game to UCLA, that aside, I think... I think this this any team who has to play an SEC uh any any other school who has to play an SEC team outside of conference play is is going to have something on their plate this year. Get yeah. a tall order. No, it's incredible, Owen. I mean, you're absolutely right and, you know, it, the SEC is definitely by far the best and it's an incredible conference like you said but even now with the merger i think the sec east is going to get harder because they're going to shift some things around too but no but for sure i think that the um it, it, college football it's great to have college football back but i i do just want to say i think the only thing coming out of it is you know i know people are overreacting but you know they had a <laughs> 
they had a great I was they had a great segment on the uh, the Paul Feinbaum show uh, like a week ago when they were talking about the expectations for LSU and they're talking about Ed Ogeron and how there was some troubled off the field stuff in the program and how they were really bad last year for their standards and how long a championship buys you well a loss to UCLA and another you know seven and five seasons certainly ain't gonna cut it so that is one thing I'm I'm watching. Go Tigers! Go go Tigers! Uh, no, uh, it, you're right, Willie, and and just because the expectation in the SEC for every team is is what it is, and for LSU, you know, having won the title a couple of years ago, it, it's you know, or I guess year and a half ago, it's tough to to hang on to a job for for as as long as you know the Nick Sabins of the world have because how many titles has Saban won? A lot, <laughs> uh, as as Alabama head coach, and so it's it's the, the margin for error is going to continue to get smaller and smaller, even as Saber Saban gets towards retiring, which yep. I don't know it's going to be anytime soon. Um, but I, I do want to say the one thing I want to say though about about the ACC, about Georgia specifically, mm. this is finally a Kirby Smart team. Mm. This is a team, one hundred percent built by Kirby Smart and his recruiting. Uh, when he first took over, obviously it was all Mark Richt. Uh, maybe a couple players came over from from Kirby's recruiting, but now after the run of the title in 2017, a couple seasons after that, mm-hmm. this is kind of the, you know, and, and 2020 being a weird year because of COVID, this is kind of the the measuring stick for for Kirby. Is 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 this going to be the year that he can put together a team that can play with Alabama and beat Alabama because Mm -hmm. they're obviously the benchmark in college football. If you can beat Alabama, then you can win a national title. Everyone who has beaten Alabama has won a national title. Mm -hmm. Not exactly, but you know, they're the measuring stick. It's, it's, it's a big help if you can beat Bama and, and people, you don't just start chanting "We want Bama" unless you really do want to play Alabama. And you can ask LSU how that went a couple of years ago. It was uh, it was not a close? It was not as uh, as much of a shootout as uh, as much of a blowout, rather, as people thought it was going to be. No, that game sure. that game a couple of years ago was something else. No, I think oh oh, incredible. Um, maybe to a fool all of us, but. Um, it's another story, but yeah, I, I feel like you're absolutely right. I think what you said about a Kirby smart team is interesting and maybe it's a little bit of a matchup because Alabama lost all of that offensive firepower and supposedly has, you know, Nick Saban is saying it's one of his people say it's one of his, you know, best defenses potentially, but a little bit less on the offensive side. And and so maybe this is the time. They've certainly had a lot of close games, you know, between those two. Um, but hopefully this is the time. But uh, I'll tell you what. I mean, you know, <laughs> it is incredible to think about how good LSU was a few years ago to beat Alabama in that game and to win a title. Because, I mean, it's just, Alabama's so good. But I promise you, 
I don't care if it's Alabama when Nick Saban leaves. That that program is is tailing off. Like they, they they there's no way they can possibly be this good. No, I mean Nick Saban is already. I mean, even before this past year in 2020 when they won the title, he was already in conversation for best college football manager of all time. He yep. was up there with Woody Hayes and Bear Bryant. And now, if they can do it again, they can go back to back this year. I think he has that title. He has the he has a the strongest case for for the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's there was a a crazy stat a couple of years ago, and I want to get to, to hot takes in a second, Willie. But this stat is one I think that really encapsulates my view of college football, especially when it comes to Georgia. Mm-hmm. Nick Saban has only recruited players who have won national titles. Every single player, and this was, I think, a couple of years ago. I don't know if it's still the case, but every player that Nick Saban has recruited at Alabama has won a national championship. That's incredible. Every single one of them. That is stupidly good. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yes, you talk about schools paying players under the table against NCAA regulations, and there's all the, there's, you know, it's, it's obviously a very, it's a very touchy subject for a lot of folks, but to to have that kind of a a, rep, a a reputation, where if Nick Saban calls you and says we want you to play at Alabama, then you're gonna win a national you're gonna win a national championship game. Mm. That's it's yeah. that's insanity. That's a crazy stat, Owen. That's a crazy stat. And and even yeah. if it's not hundred percent true nowadays, but just just the sheer percentage that would be it's it's in the nineties for sure. But mm-hmm. to think of that many players having won national titles, I mean, what's that like at other schools? I mean, right? It, it's it's a, a maybe comparable number at Clemson, but it's insanity. Absolute absolute insanity for sure. Like nothing like it. But nothing college like football it. is is back, Willie. It's well mm-hmm. and truly back. Absolutely, it's great to have it. I mean, college football is awesome. You know what else is awesome, Willie? Hmm. Our hot take segment. The end of every show where you and I get to air out our most crazy, thought-provoking, and just most fire takes. The hottest of hot takes. This is the segment. Willie, what do you got for us tonight? I got a couple. With the the theme of tonight... um, On World Cup qualifying, I think one... uh, A good team that'll miss the World Cup... Uh, the season uh, will be Portugal. That's a they're they're in second place in their group on tiebreaker, but you know, I just think they've kind of struggled. And you know, usually you know you go into a playoff, but the problem is when you look at the teams <laughs> that could be playoff, there's a lot of other teams struggling. And so I'm just going to make a prediction and call that Portugal finishes second in their World Cup qualifying group. And uh, loses in the in the playoff round, and doesn't qualify. Wow, that's a strong take, Willie. I mean, that might be. Oof, that's the hottest take I think you've had season two or this. What is this season so? three of hot takes only? Oh. I think so. Okay. There okay. is so much talent in that Portugal squad, and and if it was the U.S. <laughs> who were in that predicament, I would be like, yeah, no, I would believe this, but this is Portugal we're talking about. This 
<sighs> wow. Wow. Willie. I was not <laughs> expecting that kind of fire. Okay. Oh well, goodness. Um, well, I mean, I guess the only way I can respond to that is to give you my take, which is, is, is also world cup qualifier related as well. Oh, wow. Um, okay. the U S is going to miss the world cup. Oh no. <laughs> yep. After, after seeing bits and pieces of the last two games, there has been absolutely zero to give me any confidence that the U S men's national team has gotten anywhere close to moving past 2017 mm. and the failure to qualify. There's, I, I've seen no evidence that this quote-unquote golden generation has taken a step yeah. further and has taken a step towards qualifying. If what we're saying, if if what Landon Donovan is saying about Weston McKenney, if that turns out to be true, then that is a massive piece that is going to be missing. Greg Burhalter through two games has painted a very poor picture for himself. A very, very. He's not covering himself in glory. We'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. And Christian Pulisic having to do everything or feeling the need to do everything is a mm-hmm. sign that there is too much dysfunction in this squad right now for the U.S. to even qualify for the World Cup, let alone qualify from their group in the World Cup, yeah. which should be the the standard. But I, it, it's just, it it looks... I mean, yes, they've only played two games, and, and qualifying is a long process. But it, Willie, it looks so bad. It, does. it looks and, so bad. And you know, one of the things Landon Donovan has talked a lot about in the two podcasts is how important experiences, managing everything in Concacaf and World Cup qualifying. And what's scary about it is the fact that the U.S. team has very little experience. You know, um, really, you know. Uh, the only guys out of literally all the guys that were, you know, at all involved in the last cycle were John Brooks and, and, um, and Pulisic. So, you know, if that is really that important, that paints an even grimmer, you know, picture. It's, it does not look good, Willie. It really doesn't. It, That's right. I should have I should have mentioned uh, Tim Ream somehow. <laughs> still Tim is, Ream of Full America FC somehow still pl- gets playing time. Which, aye, aye, aye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some issues with the men's national team, Willie, and we'll 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 get into those in greater depth at the next international break and the next round of qualifiers. Mm. But this one, I, I don't I don't feel like talking about it again, especially because we we haven't even talked about Cristiano Ronaldo. And we won't even get to that this episode. We'll have to see what what his debut is like in our next uh, our next episode of of Hot Takes Only. Uh, yeah. What was your other take, Willie? Okay. What else you got for us? Yeah, 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 sure. Um, so my my um, my other take my other take is this. So I I think, and I know that there is there is talk. I know that there is talk of this, okay, but um, I, you know, I don't think it's the craziest thing. But this is my prediction. Mm-hmm. Um, so my the hot take itself is at the second half. So I just have to set up the first half so you understand. Yeah. Right. So um, and by the way, because it, it's another prediction, and by the way, I think the David Moyes Arsenal ones looking pretty good. But um, 
even though he's, but anyways, um, so I do think that the U.S. men's national team will make the World Cup. I do think they will barely qualify, um, and I do think they will have a subpar World Cup, maybe get bounced from the group stage. And my prediction is that we will actually get Sam Allardyce as the manager. <laughs> Please, I want I want Big Sam to be the manager so bad. Because that would I, be I just so entertaining. I feel like from the first day on the job, he would completely change the the identity of U.S. men's soccer. He would go. I don't care where you play. If you're good enough. You're playing. I don't care if we play in Europe. I don't care if we play in the United States. Whatever. We're going to play a 4-4-2. We're going to be organized. We're going to have two banks of four. Center forward up top. One playing just underneath. Christian Pulisic will be the main creative player. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. will focus on the important fundamentals of winning games. Yep. He's keeping clean sheets. And scoring goals on the counterattack when necessary. And not worrying about what it looks like. Not worry about the optics. Not worry about playing beautiful football. Don't worry about the golden generation. Just get results. That's what the U.S. needs. Absolutely. Once you get results. Just look at Canada, how they play. (laughs) They are absolutely lethal on the counterattack. Like, absolutely lethal. But uh, And I should just mention, too, you know, Allardyce was a candidate. Well... There was rumors about him before Baralta took the job, and he and he'd set, reminded the public that he actually played. I think it was in the USL in for the Tampa Bay Rowdies. <laughs> so, like you know, he was interested in the job. So I wouldn't be surprised. I I want that to happen so bad, Willie. I really do. I really do. Like yeah. more more so than I think any other hiring outside of of Klopp to Liverpool when. Rogers first lost his job. Mm. I think Klopp was like the first person I was like, he just left Dortmund. Go get him. Go get him. He's free. Mm. Go get him. And then it happened. And then seven years later, here we are. Yep. Or uh, six years later, rather. Um, Willie, yep. you just mentioned the, your David Moyes to Arsenal take. Mm. And um, I hadn't really thought of this before, but I was just racking my brain to think about everything we talked about in today's episode. Mm. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to one-up you. Not because I want to one-up you, but because All I right. think that this yeah. would just be peak, peak mm. Arsenal. <laughs> January 1st, 2022. In some capacity, either as manager or as just someone around the first team, Arsene Wenger will be back at Arsenal. Wow. I... Now, again, this is our hot take segment. These are just our most random, bizarre, wild, not necessarily backed up by, by facts and, and, and stats and logic, but just random, I want this to happen, kind of, I think it, it, there's a possibility, an outside chance, a 0.001% this could happen. That's what the nature of these takes are. And the reason I think Arsene Wenger will make his way back to Arsenal in some capacity, if not as a manager... And as a first team consultant is because, and this is something we talked about in our last episode, Willie Arsenal as a club look completely lost. Mm -hmm. There is no identity. There is no cohesion. 
There is nothing even remotely close to resembling the Invincibles, the title-winning side, even the FA Cup-winning sides managed by Arsene Wenger. Mm. And so I think Arteta's going to lose his job, you know, mm. as unfortunate as it is for us, to, you know, at a human level to predict someone losing their job and kind of, in some cases, not celebrating it, but, you know, being like, I knew this was going to happen. But I think Arteta will lose his job and there will be an interim manager. I don't know who, someone from Arteta's backroom staff who's, or someone from the club who's still around. And they'll be trying to find someone who embodies the principles and the kind of identity of Arsenal Football Club. Mm -hmm. And I think by that point, the results will improve, but there's just no consistency with the team and, and kind of playing this, the way that Arteta is trying to get them to play, we think, or that Emery tried to get them to play, we think. And they'll turn to someone who has been out of the game from in management specifically for a while. And I think I read something recently that's like, hey, maybe he wants to get back into management. Well, there's a club he knows very well, a set of fans he knows very well, and Is there? a general <laughs> it's it's a general, I guess, essence, for lack of a better word, of this football club that has been missing since Wenger left. And I think he's gonna he's gonna say, you know what? I think I think we I think we can get out of this. I think he, he said recently the club's in a good in good shape. He really did. But I don't think that's I don't think that's him just heaping praise on his old club. I think that's him saying, "I'm gonna get me. I'm I'm around if you'll come ask me for the job, or for a job around the first team." I don't know. I mean, that's it again. It's it's a it's a wild out of left take. You know, maybe this could happen, kind of thing. But given the way the results have gone in the opening three weeks of the season, Willie, and and what we've kind of understood to be the state of Arsenal right now, I wouldn't rule it out personally. No, you I've know, also he, been uh, wrong about. There's an interview he did, and there's a quote from the Irish Times in 2020. He said. Arsenal is a matter of life and death to me. You know, the club means so much. And like, absolutely, it's in shambles to get it right back on the right path. And, um, you know, players loved, you know, a lot of players, with certain exceptions, just loved Arsene Wenger. Really nice guy. They liked the football I played. Just, and he loved that club. And I, I will admit, you know, I was, you know, dead wrong. Uh, certainly was the only one, but I was dead wrong. And I, you know, in terms of, I, I thought he was always a little overrated, but certainly <laughs> it's proven me a lot, very wrong. Um, and so, yeah, that's a really interesting take, Owen. And honestly, I mean, man, you called it here first. That that could happen. I mean, shit, if, if things keep going the way they are, that would make sense, right? I mean, I... Again, I don't I'm not saying definitively it's going to happen, but just imagine if Arteta loses his job late November, early December and they can't find an interim manager who really, you know, they would want to to be at the helm for more than, you know, a, a short period of time. I mean, there who 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 else in the world understands Arsenal better than Arsene Wenger? 
mm-hmm. who understands what the club is all about and what the team what the what the football club at its core really is all about and should be all about is yeah. the guy who made it what it is this guy one of the one of the main reasons arsenal are who they are today is because of that man and i i don't know maybe it's maybe it's shades of dog leash going back to liverpool maybe it's something to get kind of get the club you know to to write the ship as far as like the dna of the club and the 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 just what it is again it's it's really this is really it's really kind of speculative wishy-washy this is not based on anything but uh, willie imagine that january 1st 2022 arson wenger is back at arsenal i yeah. mean is <laughs> if you thought football social media could not get any better that would be the icing on the cake it really would absolutely bro absolutely it would be crazy and and i remember reading this before uh before the international break what the uh upcoming fixtures look like for arsenal mm-hmm. in the league this coming saturday the 11th mm-hmm. it's norwich at home burnley away afc wimbledon in the third round of the afl cup and then on september 26th North London Derby. Wow. If Arteta does not get at least six points from those three games, he's in he's in he's in trouble. He could he can conceivably lose his job by then. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's. I would not rule it out, Willie. I really wouldn't. No, that's a great call. Great call. So. But, folks, if that doesn't have you excited for uh, what September and October have in store for you on the sporting calendar, specifically with baseball and world football, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, we haven't even talked about the NFL coming back this Thursday, but like, the less we talk about the, the, the Falcons, the less we talk about Julio Jones, and, and just the less the better. So, Willie, at long last, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Yeah, just props to Syracuse because Miles Robinson and for the U.S., the Atlanta United defender who's going to go to Europe soon, probably. Tarrant looks like the best player on the U.S. MNT. And um, Tejan Buchanan, who just record MLS transfer to Club Bruges from the MLS, both from played for Syracuse University. So good, good, uh, good, good vibes there. There you go. Go Orange. Mm-hmm. Folks, this has been episode 43 of Hot Takes Only. Remember, you can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, literally anywhere you get your podcasts, and also on the hosting website, that's anchor.fm slash hot takes only. That's all one word. We will try to be back next week at our usually scheduled time, which is Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific time, 10 uh, a.m. Eastern time, but the next month or two, it's going to be really crazy as far as having something consistent. So for the time being, it'll kind of be, we'll try to have these out on a weekly basis, but it'll kind of be touch and go. If we drop this episode, say on a Tuesday or Wednesday, and the next one comes on a, on a Thursday, then, you know, so be it. But we got a lot of sports to watch. We got a lot of sports to look forward to. 
So we hope you are as excited as we are. So for Willie, I'm Owen. Again, this is episode 43 of Hot Takes Only. We'll see you in the next one.